to the Dubious Consumers Podcast for the week of January 11th. My name is Justin Hurd. Nathan Steinman. Daryl. Van Ostrin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's I, like, you I, broke my identity. Now say it three times fast. No. Daryl Van Ostrin. Daryl Van Ostrin. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can tell, uh, David Ferguson decided not to show the fuck up because he's tired from his vacation. Quitter. No, he has, he has the vacation from his vacation. Yeah, yeah. His wife showed up today and was just like, oh, yeah, I mean, the weather in California. And Dave's like, yeah, we had to sleep with two twin beds pushed together. And they were there was a three-inch height difference. And I'm like, oh, poor you. You got a vacation. In the first week of January. Yeah, like immediately following my yeah, holidays. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still recovering my store from there. I've got a week and a half to recover my store and, uh, yeah, haven't done a thing towards I it. I only had a vacation because I had the flu, but that was before the holidays. Technically, I've had a flu for like the past week and a half. Pretty much the moment you guys left, it was just like, oh, hey, Justin's dead. And I'm still recovering from it, but I'm kind of on the upswing now, so I'm good. That's good. I feel like I need sanitizer. Oh, good. Well, Man. it's it's been like a month now since I had today. But yeah, but as long as we make out afterwards, you should be fine. Yeah. All right. I, I got to build up your. Uh, Is this what Dave you gotta build up does? His, your immune he, system. He makes up makes out with you. Well, well, Dave he, does. Well, Dave yeah. just grabs my junk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Dave's a big fan. Of just holds on junk. to it. Uh, for good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he takes it out and you. Joyfully <laughs> rubs it. <laughs> Does he down. get a wish for every three rubs? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a Pringles does, can. Does, so, uh, you know. does the ghost of uh, uh, Robin Williams? No, no. Oh, oh too soon. <laughs> too soon. Murder Twas coming soon. up. Oh. By the way, at least we have three people here now. Whereas the last time this happened, it was just Nathan and I staring uncomfortably at each other and going, "I haven't seen that movie." I that don't sounds uncomfortably yeah. sexy. Yeah. Um, Every everything between Nathan and I is uncomfortably sexual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're, it just ooh, we just ooze, you know. So much. Uh, I'm seeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> Change your bandage, man. <laughs> Wrong place. So. Oh, <laughs> well, that's what he does. To you hold know, it down. you know they have shots for that, right? Mm. But it feels <laughs> so good. I just gonorrhea makes Justin happy. <laughs> just pop another one and keep going. So <laughs> Dave's not here. Instead, you get me. Yeah. Dave's not here, man. He's the party man. He, he's not the party man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Nathan, what have you been consuming? Oh, uh, all sorts of things, uh, but not as much as I probably should have. So the big thing that I wanted to mention first was <laughs> Daryl is uh, was picking up his phone because I picked up my phone. So well, actually, Daryl received a text message. Which buzzed on the table after oh. all, both of us turned off our fucking phones. Wow. So it wouldn't do just that. Yeah. No. I so, didn't know I had you know, to turn the phone off. Nobody told me. There's this thing called Do Not Disturb. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. He's but still the, not doing it. The first thing is I watched <laughs> Killer Joe. Ah. Yeah. Oh. How amazing was that? It was really interesting. I was really fascinated by it. To find out also the guy, Tracy Litz, is from Tulsa. Originally. Uh, yeah. 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 It's originally a play. Actually, the three movies I do believe that are adaptations that he's done are were all originally stage plays that he wrote. See, my my big thing about Killer Joe is just you will never look at Matthew McConaughey the same way again. No, I you, mean you don't look at any of the people the same way. Yeah, I, I look mean, at Julia really, Sean I mean, the same way still, so I'm good. I saw her in something recently, 
and that's all I could think of, but I still look at her the same way. I, I well, feel better uh, about Judy Gershon. Okay, so my, my favorite story about Killer Joe is that a friend of Katie's, um, not going to mention any names because I'm sure they would kill me, but um, she had a sex dream with Matthew McConaughey. So she just went and bought every Matthew McConaughey movie, including wow. Killer Joe. Wow. <laughs> and so I just kind of sat there and I was like, this this should be interesting. I'm curious if she likes drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I told her, hey, let me know what you think after you see Killer Joe because you'll never be the same again. Yeah. And she watched it. And the next time I saw her, I went, so, hey, what did you think about Killer Joe? And she goes, I gave it to a friend of mine after I watched it. <laughs> I gave just, it away. Just gave it away. I had to get yeah, that no, poison no, out of my no. house. Yeah, I mean, no. she could just go with the audio. I mean, it'd be cool, right? <laughs> uh, but overall, I mean, it was a well, well acted movie. I would say it was like a very like you could definitely tell those actors were playing those characters and not just playing themselves. Like, oh yeah, well, and, and that's for me. That's the point that Matthew McConaughey kind of said. I'm not doing any more of this just stupid bullshit. I'm not doing any more rom coms or surfer dude. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally getting rid of the all right, all right, all right. Yeah, you know, persona, and I'm going to become a serious actor. And that was the moment that he just went, okay, fuck this, and stepped over the edge. But it was interesting, especially to watch the movie and be like, wow, this is the guy who directed The Exorcist. Yeah, not even joking. <laughs> like, William this is like him returning. William Friedkin has returned yeah. <laughs> to uh, making fucked Kentucky up movies. Kentucky Fried Mouth Tomato. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, tomato is the word of the day. Tomato is the word of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by the word tomato. <laughs> tomato. But um, <coughs> it was really fascinating to actually finally see it and be like... Especially after I went so in-depth with it. Well, it, but it's it's also just like the characters are all so fucked the yeah. whole way through. Well, it, it's bas- it, you know they call it, or kind of its classification is neo-noir. And it's basically redneck noir. Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, it's like, here's the, instead of Southern Gothic, we get Southern Method. Right. You know? <laughs> it's like, here's what, you know, the trailer parks of now, you know, they're full of crime and they're full of, you know, abuse and neglect and, you know, Except in poor Canada. education skills. Canada, their trailer parks are wonderful. Uh, The next thing is we... My wife and I have been watching season nine of How I Met Your Mother. I Which think I season stopped, is that? I think I. Stopped. It's the last one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I stopped on. I may have stopped on season seven. I don't know. It, season six is the highlight. It's the best. It, it, I, 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 you know, when you say How I Met Your Mother season whatever, I really don't fucking know what happens in any of them. I mean, I I remember all the storylines. One I can, guy I complains for like. Ten years. That's the gist of the show. <laughs> well, the thing that what uh, happens in season six? Uh, season six, I do believe, is the one that opens with Barney, Barney and uh, it's a frame story. The whole season is a frame story. Where at the very beginning, it's supposed to be when Barney is possibly getting engaged to Robin, and then they lead up to the actual like them getting engaged. Okay. The whole thing's a long. Frame the the story. last one I, I think I watched the I think I watched season eight was the last one I watched because that was the one where the f- fucking season finale was like, hey, everybody's going their separate ways at the end of this episode, or at the after the wedding's over, 
everybody's going to go their separate ways. But the season the season finale is literally just going to be, hey, we're on our way to the wedding. And that was it. Well, but then they show that that's the first time they show the mother. Yeah. The, the actress who plays the mother. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Well, the thing that's kind of frustrating about the last season for I, I, a lot I, of people, I, I think, is the fact that they are trying to cram this whole thing into one weekend. But they're, like, moving back and forth through time. Okay. The good part is, like, they're doing lots of, like, setups and payoffs for things that you're not going to get because they're not going on. And also, they weren't even going to get a season nine. Oh, okay. And, like, because Jason Siegel didn't even want to do another contract. Like, he was, like, telling them no. And then, I guess, either the way they pitched it to him or whatever, he finally, he finally agreed. Because he was done. He was like, nope, not going to do it anymore. Eight years was enough. <laughs> and he did one last year. Uh, well, I mean, that that's kind of how it... That's the weird thing about the Muppet movie. Kind of not jumping ahead to our topic, but it's yeah. kind of a weird thing. You watch the Muppet movie, or Muppets, and then you jump... And then you watch Muppets Most Wanted. Have you seen Muppets Most I have Wanted? Not. Um, no. So, have you seen Muppets? Yes. Okay. I saw it in the theater. Like, yeah, I was so yeah. excited. Oh, yeah. And so the whole thing like revol- revolves around him and his and Amy Adams and Walter. Walter, or, yeah. yeah. And it's all about them. And number two, literally starts with, um, like Kermit and Walter standing behind two stunt doubles for uh, Jason Siegel and Amy Adams, who are waving to the crowd and like, okay, we're done. And then they just completely disappear from the movie at that point. And then they're just like, oh, hey, at least we have our fans. And then they turn around and this whole entire street's gone. And they're like, oh, those were extras. And it's all about, oh, this is a sequel. So, you know, so our, making- yeah, you know, the studio has demanded a sequel. So what should the storyline be about? And everybody's pitching their own ones. Like Gonzo um, pitches Gone, of the, Gone with the Wind with chickens. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and um, uh, Fozzie actually. Okay, maybe I do have to watch it just for that. Just yeah, for that moment. Um, and Fozzie pitches the exact plot from the first movie. <laughs> it's an evil oil baron, and he's trying to take back and take over the students. Did you even watch our first movie? <laughs> so it, wow. you know, it. So they're like, okay, it's going to be the Muppets again, and <laughs> then it goes Muppets Most Wanted, and but yeah, it's that whole thing where it's just like. Why didn't Jason Siegel come back? You, you know, after watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall, that this is the thing he really wanted to do. Yeah, like with so his whole life. Were they just like? Was he just kind of like, eh, one Muppet movie was enough. That was that was too much for me. I'm just gonna move down the fucking road. Who knows? Maybe he wanted to. Maybe he wanted to direct it, and they went and let him direct it. Yeah, you know. And is he gonna be in Salt Lake City Punk too? Because they're making a sequel to that. Kill me now. Is Matthew Lillard going to be in Salt Lake City I have Punk no too? idea. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. I not. hadn't looked it up. So I do have to mention that I never put together that SLC was Salt Lake City. Really? Wow, you never did? No. I, How I, could honestly, you not? I've only seen the movie once, and he that was like five says, years ago. He says Salt Lake City like 50 times well, But he the also movie. says we're the Salt Lake City punks, you know, in the movie. You know, there's a plural there, you know. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's, that's my only... Just yeah, yeah. I, I Did saw, you get the fact that you know Heroin Bob so, is only named Heroin Bob because he doesn't he actually doesn't do heroin? Do yeah, heroin. yeah. He, so he how tall are you? Does yeah. everything just go right over your head? 
Yeah. No, I'm, I'm too fast. You're to real get short. To. Oh, right, right. Good job. Thanks, uh, Drax. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I was going to watch, you know, both movies that you let me borrow the gangs. Of New I don't York. even remember what they are. You let me borrow gangs of New York and uh, brief interviews with hideous brief men. Had you not seen men. gangs of New York? I've just never gotten to what it. What is wrong with you? Well, for me, I, I really wish you had watched brief interviews with hideous men because. I was I'll watch even, it for next podcast. I was I even just... talking to to my employees yesterday, just like, oh man, it's so good. There's this, you know, monologue, and there's this monologue. And one of my employees had seen it while I was on Netflix, and she was like, oh yeah, that one. Or I basically, you know, we had monologues as our last nerdatois, and um, everybody goes for the John Krasinski one, and even my employee went, oh yeah, John Krasinski ones is the best. And I'm like, okay, no. Because he wrote and directed this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Quentin Tarantino has one of the best opening monologues of his movies in Reservoir Dogs, and he wrote and directed it as well. Yeah, I mean, and for me, it's kind of like, ah, eh, that's okay. But he's also not like a critical character the whole plot. You know? Right, which so. in, in brief interviews with Hideous Men, the character, he doesn't speak except for that monologue. Like, really, he doesn't speak except for that monologue. And it's at the very end of the movie. It's the last monologue of the movie. Um, and it's like 10 minutes long. Yeah, that's probably a little too self So it's the only one you remember. Cause and, and that's that's the thing is everybody goes, this is the most amazing one. And it's it's the last fucking one. It's the one that is supposed to punctuate everything. Yeah. When there's like three other ones that are really, really good, which are the two I talked about last yeah. week, or last podcast. And I mentioned them to my employee. And she went, oh yeah, those are really, really good. No fucking shit. Ah. <laughs> Hello. Uh, but instead of that, I thought I had gotten the Hannibal season two yes. uh, for uh, Christmas. And I was like, I'll watch one episode. You know what? You guys and can then, talk about it. I honestly have not seen since season one. I like watched the first two episodes and then they you need to watch loop. it all. It's very I, much worth the payoff at the I, end I of know, season I'm, two. I'm, is I, I, I am really oh, excited for it. I love Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, Mads Mikkelsen. He's is, great. I, I literally... I don't hear Anthony Hopkins's voice in my head anymore when I think of yeah, okay, Hannibal yeah, and anymore. I agree with you there. Like, my my only problem was at the end of season one, it felt like they were flipping things just to flip things. No, so season two is probably better with it's, it. It's a very very long setup. Well, yeah. you, and that, they, they think of season one and season two as one season, right? And uh, I'm just saying that yeah. with the very end of season, like I was very interested in the fact that you know, Freddie is a chick. In yeah, pretty loud. Yeah, and you know, and the, all the different, all the, all the changes they made. Like, okay, I like this. This is interesting. And then you get to the end of season one, and you're like, okay, they're just they're just using the same imagery. No, they're craftier. No, they're so. And it, as you said, it's probably it's a long con. So I'll have well, to. But also, you have to you have to completely kind of put. It's like any adaptation. You have to like take it for what it is. And I really think in some ways they've uh, exceeded the source material in some ways. Okay. Because I, I've read I read all... I have never read Hannibal Rising, but I've read all three of the original Thomas Harris books. Yeah. I, I love Red Dragon. Red Dragon's amazing. And I loved Hannibal. Sons of the Lambs, better movie, I think, than a book. That's just my opinion. You know, Clarice, I think, is a better character in the movie than she is in the book. In the... In the in Science of the Lambs, which is a better character in Hannibal the book, 
than the shitty Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> Guy, that I, was, d- I didn't even realize that was fucking Ridley Scott. It's a Ridley Scott. Yeah, that's that's like okay, that's the beginning to, of the end. That's like the first be, movie he made after Gladiator. I think. The last movie he made was Robin Hood. I have not paid attention to anything since then. Yeah. Well, no, well, no, yeah, I know he's made other movies. I, just, <laughs> I saw um, Robin Hood, well, and then the it didn't happen until the end. The thing is, is um, from what I've heard from people who have listened to the director's commentary for Gladiator, he has no fucking idea what makes his movies good. Which is why there's multiple versions. Uh, there's it's probably an apocryphal story, but um, I think during Blade Runner, he went into the theater and there was a couple of potheads that were sitting in front of him during the screener and complained about the movie being too long. Which is why he keeps cutting shit down and then releasing a director's cut that's the longer version. <laughs> And this is why you haven't watched Hannibal season two. Yes, yes, it is completely Ridley Scott's motherfucking fault. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's what here's what will annoy you even more. It's okay. I David love Ridley Slade, Scott. The guy who directed Touch Thirty me. of Days of Night. I Just know he movie. did he did direct a Twilight movie. Oh yeah, then, but I'm and pretty that, sure and, he and, used and, well, all his Twilight money I was to g- fund this project. Well, I was gonna yeah. say if you watch, um, I watched. Okay, so Twilight. I watched Twilight one using Rift tracks. Which is the Mystery Science Theater 3000 yeah. people. That's the only way I was able to watch the first movie. Okay. Now, I legitimately watched the second and third movie on my own while unemployed. The third movie is the one that. Yeah, and the, and the third movie has the best opening. It definitely feels like it's a horror movie. And then the rest of it's shit. And then I watched the fourth movie in theaters with Katie, and it was, the wor- it was worse than the first movie. I was like, okay, I'm done. Unfortunately, there was only one movie left, which I have not seen. But hey, they're going to reboot it anyway. They've actually stated that they're rebooting Twilight. <laughs> All right. It's not wow. even five years old yet. So it's, so it's going to be worse than Terminator Genesis, you know? I, I actually, I think that trailer looks pretty interesting. I, I, I'm interested in Terminator. I will Genesis. probably. It looks. I like will fun. say, I will probably watch it. I'm going in with very low expectations. No, that's what you should always do. I mean, it's, it's a fucking <laughs> Terminator movie. Anything series related. I mean, honestly, yes. I was really interested about Terminator Salvation. I, I like the elements I wa- of Terminator I watched Salvation. The tra- I watched the trailer. I liked everything except for this whole plot line that was ripping off of a South Park episode. <laughs> which was, well, you know, all of the, I'm not really a robot. Oh, shit, I'm totally a robot. Well, the thing I thought, um, if, you want, if you watch the movie without having watched any of the trailers... Spoilers. As with every podcast of the dubious consumers, this is a spoiler cast. Always. Um, and but they ruin it in the fucking trailer. Is that um, Sam Worthington is a Terminator? Yeah. yeah. But if you watch the movie with it in mind, that you're not supposed to know what the fuck is going on. He's, you know, they're playing like the big twist of the movie is supposed to be that he's a Terminator. Yeah, and then they give it away in the freaking trailer. In the trailer, yeah. But the it's other thing that it, actually, there's even yeah. a bigger twist for the movie. What the original director's intent was, and awesome they filmed, that. which I think was amazing. The idea was amazing. Do you know this, Nathan? No, it's a McG movie, right? It is a McG movie. <laughs> the um, original ending of the movie was Basic. supposed to be that John Connor dies. Which would have made sense. And then Sam Worthington... Becomes the leader of the... Yes. That would have made more sense. How amazing is is that idea? That a fucking Terminator becomes the leader of the revolution. Yeah, they can't stop themselves. It's amazing. I, no, I, I really like that ending yeah. better than yeah. what happened. And, and he got a heart replacement yeah. because the uh, Sam Worthington out. Terminator had a real big heart because we've 
emphasized that throughout the entire movie. Oh, I've got a big heart. But I will oh. say, like, uh, watching Hannibal, there, it's. I, I really think it's one of the most fascinating things to watch from TV. It's, it's kind of like they watched the first couple seasons of Breaking Bad and went, what if we did this with Hannibal and made it more interesting and more complicated? Well, what I really like is it kind of starts out as like a CSI, like procedural, this is our case of the week, and it devolves into this really nasty little plot. Yeah, totally psychological. That strings everything along. You know, it's a long... Psychological mind fuck the whole well, time. I'll, I'll need to. I'll need to watch it. I I really did enjoy the first season. You'll probably really like ending. it because he, as he said, the whole reason why he wanted to also take everything he loved about David Lynch's work and p- repurpose it into uh, mix it in with all the Thomas Harris stuff and everything. And, and it blends in really well. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, I mean, Zodiac is one of my favorite movies. I love that style. The The problem is, is that Zodiac, and it falls under crime movie. Like, it's a detective. Yeah. But there is a certain feel to that movie that transcends other crime movies. Yeah. The only other movie, I mean, there there's a handful of movies. True Detective also has that same feel. Yeah. Um, the other one is the Red Riding Trilogy, which, have you heard of these? Um, I like to compare it to a serial killer Star Wars. Like, it, it's, set in, it's set in 19... Uh, I actually have it 70s. on the table before me. It's 1974, 1979, and 1983. Are these the Peter Sutcliffe movies? Uh, they're actually, they're actually three David. different um, directors. No, Give, no, 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 no. I meant about the Peter, Peter Sutcliffe, the, the Yorkshire Ripper. I've heard about these movies because they, they take place on three different kind of eras because he survived. He lived 1974, so long. 1980, and 1983. Okay, um, I have heard of them, but I have not seen them. They are awesome. It's that same sort of level as Zodiac and True Detective. Um, my biggest problem with these, this, well, what's cool about the series is that it's three different directors. They use the same cast, but it's different time periods and different lead characters for each oh, movie. Same writer. Huh. Problem is, is that the second movie is entirely worthless. <laughs> like you learn everything you need to in the first and the third movie that happens in the second movie, but you get a different perspective in there. But it really doesn't. It doesn't have the flair of the first and the third. So movie. would I be all right in just watching the first and third one? Maybe. Okay. Which we're, we're planning on you're... doing on movie night yeah. at some point. But cool. are there characters that are in 1980 only? Um. That possibly, but you get to see other characters that are in 1974 and in 1983. Okay. Um. But this also has that amazing feel. But the problem is, is that there's nothing for me to search for other than going. Crime movie, uh, you know, it feels really good. Like I don't, I don't know what to search for to find that level as Zodiac and True Detective and the Red Riding trilogy. Yeah, I that I you will really like Hannibal then. Yeah, if you really sit down and watch, you will really like it. Well, I have it at the, the store, so the murders I'll just have to sit down the, and watch. The one thing that they definitely make sure is that there's a really high body count to all the different serial killers that they find, and each one of them is is a different creative interpretation. Of different serial killers and stuff. I think the furthest I got was um, Gillian Anderson disappearing. So that's like three episodes in or something. Maybe even the second episode. 
Yeah. She she doesn't play a huge part until a little bit later. Yeah. And I think she's going to play a big yeah, role. She, yeah, she's supposedly in the, in the third, a big part of the third. Which has not still not and been the, announced. And the third season sounds real interesting. I haven't read up anything on it the, in several months. But the weird part... Well, why would you want to? I, I don't want to. I don't well, want to ruin it for The myself. only thing that I like is like hearing writers like be like, we might be doing something like this. I like them to just kind of well, give me a... Just to give a little tasty pitch so you can go, oh, okay. And it sounds like they're trying to mix. Because ha- at this point, they haven't really done the Francis Dollarhide story. Yeah. So they have to do that. Yeah, and I know they've talked about doing that. Yeah. They have well, to I, introduce I, I, Clary Starling. Mm-hmm. because. So I'm guessing but, from what you're talking about is that by the end of season two, they've actually captured Hannibal. Okay, d- just no. Just yeah. Okay, I won't ask anymore. They're mixing but like all different. It, they, it's they very are repurposing weird. the material. Like it's not in the same order. Well, of course out. it's not because and of you course love we'll... Michael Pitt plays Michael. Yes, Pitt Michael plays Pitt. Mason Michael Pitt Berger. is so wonderful oh, in it. You man. will love Michael Pitt. I, I, What's wonderful is I was watching Michael Pitt for an entire episode, and the next time I saw him in another episode, I was like, "Holy shit, that was Michael Pitt!" And it threw me off. See, well, um, and I, I like I, Michael Pitt. I know I who he is, and I just totally was blown I apart by love Michael Pitt now, especially with um, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, still haven't watched it. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. oh, you got okay. My, I have the first two seasons. My, <laughs> and, and watched that, it. <laughs> well, yeah. My um, my favorite episode or my favorite moment with Michael Pitt in Boardwalk Empire. Um, do you are you familiar with it at all? I know the general concept. Yeah, so 1920s Sopranos. But it, yeah, it's, but it's, in, it's set in Jersey. Yeah. Um, but um, Steve Buscemi is... And, it, and the guy is a, more of a regular a, a low, a underling, and he rises higher in the mind. Uh, well, he's a politician. Oh, okay. um, so, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember what the... Yeah, so he... But it takes place going into World War II, right? Uh, no, it it takes place during Prohibition. Oh, okay. So the entire thing is I did, about... I, but I didn't, know if, I, I didn't it, know if it skipped or... Up, like if it kept. No, it, it, it's like right as prohibition is okay. going into effect or something like that. Um, but it's gangsters, nineteen twenty or nineteen thirties sort of thing. Um, and one of my fa- my favorite episode, and it it's it came at the point where I finally went, okay, they've spent enough time so that all of these characters have a you know repertoire with each other that you're watching it and they're standing in a. Um, Basically, in a warehouse with these guys tied up, um, and Michael Pitt's character is standing, sitting there, basically going, you know, interrogating the guy, and the guy's basically saying, "Yo, fuck you, sh- you know, shoot me." So Michael Pitt just raises his gun and blows his brains out, and there's just silence. And Michael Pitt looks over to Steve Buscemi, and Steve Buscemi just kind of gives him this, "What the fuck?" look. And Michael Pitt just kind of shrugs, and then they keep going with what they're doing. Not a word exchanged between them, but it's just for me was the perfect feel for all of these characters, how they are working together. Like I had, I hadn't watched The Sopranos at that point, so it was just like, okay, this is amazing. I am in love with this show. I will, I will be in love with this show until the day I die. It is really, really good. Okay, if you love Michael Pitt that much, watch season two of Hannibal. Yeah. Okay, I will. Um, another reason to watch it is they did the same thing like they did with the first season, where it was all French cooking, right. which all slightly connected to the story. They do a much better job of like if you look up the sushimi, because it's all sushi yeah. terms, and like everything, 
directly line like the names they give the episodes directly. I looked it up like after ever. I made sure I didn't like ruin it for myself. Right. Re- but like I would read what it was after, and I'd be like, "That was yes." So the thing, the thing I'm <laughs> no. enjoying right now is that both Daryl and Nathan are trying to convince me to watch Hannibal season two. Oh, oh. when I said I love Hannibal season no, no, one, no, no. I just haven't I'm, got around. I'm trying to, it to give yet. you more reasons. To, like, I know, but to push it, it forward in your queue of things to watch. <laughs> but, well, the biggest problem is is that Katie and I were watching it together. And then you probably could watch it with Katie. It's really brutal. Yeah, season two gets a little more messed up. Than well, she was one, starting to get even. fucked up with season one. Yeah. Like, oh man. Okay, gets... so so to give you an idea, um, have you guys both watched Dexter? Yeah. No. Yeah. I watched okay. The whole well, um, Daryl, we're gonna ignore you. So okay. Katie was uh, Katie was <laughs> so able I'm gonna to have watch my season one without having any problems. You can't hear Justin over. But then. <laughs> <laughs> But then she started watching. Well, I started. Her and I started watching season two together, and she started having nightmares about the um, the shipping container. Wow! And I'm like, okay, Dexter isn't even that fucking bloody. Like they pretty much the only blood you ever get is from like him slicing the cheek to get the blood slide. Like everything else is, you know, like the first season is the and ice ca- truck killer, and occasionally you see him holding, moving around parts of people. And but stuff. but you don't get the blood and gore and viscera and all that yeah. stuff, which you get way more of it. <laughs> right, which is amazing because it's friggin' on NBC. Right, and <laughs> um, so like the first season of Dexter is the ice truck killer, which all the body parts are frozen and drained. So like, there's nothing. It, it's all conceptual stuff, but. Katie and I were able to watch season one together. We started to watch season two, and she started having nightmares. It was like, okay, I'm done. She um, she needs to watch. You you don't really have to watch season three to watch season four, but just as a writer, she needs she needs to watch season four. I watched I watched all the way through Dexter. Now with Californication, I cut off at season four or five or something like that, and then I was like, okay, I everything I've heard is that this is the true ending to the story, so I'm going to end it here. And she went and watched the rest of the season. She was like, oh, it was worth it. You know, I totally should watch it. And I like five, six, and seven of Dexter. I feel like seven should have been the end. After watching season eight, it was like seven. If if they were going to keep going, seven should have been the end. Because seven was the end. Seven really is the end. Um, Season... Season eight was a friggin' waste. Well, the biggest problem with season eight is that the characters... You know, after um, Deborah tries to kill him, yeah, like the, like the well, next after well the the next episode they're just like, oh we we worked that out. That was some good catharsis for us. We're best friends again. You know, it wasn't just that; it was all the I know fake they're, plot they're, lines they mangled up to give us some sort of fake mother for Dexter because we never had a mother figure for him really. Or yeah. every time he'd had a mother figure, they kind of died. But not to not because of him, yeah. Um, you know, directly. I, I have to say, the ending of three and the transition to four was the most amazing. Four was, I think, was the is is the pinnacle. Like, you can really watch. And two, when I rewatched it, it was I was like, this is even better. The second time, like the first time, I struggled to make it through season two just because it felt clunkier than the first season. I don't remember much about season two. I need to rewatch it. Um, the second when I rewatched it, I was like, "Holy crap!" Who, who's the? Oh no, it's his AA it's him. stuff. No, it's him. 
No, he's the killer that they're trying to find. Right, right. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but the second season is his AA stuff yeah, they, and, and, and with that, dopes. That was the stuff that was really hard for me to watch the first time. because I, like, oh, I, I liked it. What Basically, I finished season two and then needed to watch season three and stopped. And um, John, John Lithgow is the um, serial killer in season three. Season four. No. Season four is the Trinity killer. What is season three? Season three is the DA. Okay, so season four, John Lithgow is the Trinity Killer. So it's season, it's the transition from season four to season five. Oh, yeah, and season five was actually better than a lot of people gave it credit. Right, and I really liked it. Um, so Four is just, like, amazing. It's so hard to top four, like, as a... This is the Trinity Killer concept, too. The fact that someone would kill in this very specific order only every, you know, so few years... Well, in this uh, very uh, specific crime scenes, you know, that were repeated over and over again. Well, the, the, and spoilers, Daryl, of course, because it looks like I'm you're not really actually into listening Derek. to you at all. <laughs> good, good, I zoned yeah. out. Good. A long time he has ago. that good. superpower. That's his superpower. I'm not joking. I'm oh, I know. I know. It's true. Um, my uh, my favorite thing about that transition is that Dexter shows him mercy. As much as Dexter can show somebody mercy before killing him. Yeah. And then goes home to find his wife killed by the Trinity Killer, which the Trinity Killer knew whenever he was given mercy. Yeah, it's for me. It's just a fuck. Yeah, it's it's a complete mind fuck that whole. Season. Yeah, like that that that's an amazing twist. Well, but also just like all the elements that they use to build up, like you know, his him failing at being being a killer because he's a dad now. Yeah, you know, and all that. Uh, honestly, like, my my biggest disappointment with the Dexter show is that after season four, that they didn't explore those concepts. Yeah, they, they literally just go, "Okay, you're gonna be a single father now." Oh, hey, the grandparents will take the kids. Cool. Yeah, let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah, which makes no, so he's no yeah, sense. and he's stuck with the baby. But why wouldn't the grandparents take the baby? So he loses the teenage girl that could have really been a complication for his life. Though, yeah, that would have been and a much better foil to him than Deborah right. was, you know. Yeah, well, it, and that's the really weird thing, and Daryl's not paying attention right now. But the really weird fucking thing about Dexter, I don't care, is that his sister becomes sexually attracted to him. That not, that does not sound entertaining at all. Luckily, they did not follow that down as far down as the rabbit hole as I w- had worried they would be. You're about to say wanted to. <laughs> no, actually, I I was really honestly I that, that I was subplot. I, I, I knew that that, that subplot was coming, and I was like, I am really worried about how fucked especially, this is going to be. Especially because the actors at that point were actually married and then divorced. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, that that might be the reason why they actually abandoned that. Like that. But it was just like they should have gone through with it. It would have been entertaining yeah, it, for everyone else. Yeah, that was, was, like, that was season six, wasn't it? Where she was. I, I think so, yeah. Becoming more sexually attractive. It's just like, this is terrible. What is going on? And also, like... How fucked are you? Also, my whole thing is, like, Angel was... The Angel character was such a great character. And then after, like... Like, all the... But then putting him and, like, where to get together was just, like, taking all of the... 
steam out of his sick well, out of his but, character. But, well, it, it's the same problem that a lot of series have is that every season Californication has the same problem is that they introduce amazing characters that you fall in love with that you're like I need to I want more of this character and then they kill them off they replace them like at they the put end put them in some relationship that makes no sense to right the at, at the end of season five he was in a relationship with the vice cop and then beginning of season six because i binge watched all this stuff oh hey he's with laguerta now what the fuck yeah. and the vice cop would have been a much better plot line to finish exactly. off in season five but uh the other thing is I did go see Inherent Vice in the theater. I'm really night. wanting to see this movie. So I won't spoil anything for you. Is it worth seeing? One, it's worth seeing. Okay, cool. Two Okay, stop talking. No, no, no. <laughs> Two, it's much more of a comedy than I thought it was going to be. I honestly I know it's Paul Thomas Anderson, but watching it I all I could think of was Big Lebowski. It looked like a it, comedy from the trailer. Well, it, it does, but it, but it's Paul Thomas Anderson, so you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to be kind of funny in parts." Yeah. But it, it's it's the first I would say pure comedy that he's ever written and directed, I would say. Uh and the there are those Big Lebowski moments. You do have those moments where like this is totally Thomas Pinchon watched The Big Lebowski and went, <laughs> I can do that, but I can do it better. <laughs> but, I still, as, as a aside, I still love that moment in Tusk where he uses the pencil trick on the pad. He goes, come on, he just learned that from Big Lebowski. Actually, yeah, that's where I learned it. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that I will say that I... The the performances are really good in the movie. Uh, there's a lot of really there's a unexpected cameo that's not uh, given to you in the trailer, which is exciting. Okay, good. So, uh, so there are surprises. Yeah, the only surprises. thing I really got from the trailer is it looked kind of funny, and the entire time I kept thinking he was Lemmy from Motorhead. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's obviously Neil Young. Okay, yeah, the look is obviously supposed to be Neil Young. Okay. Like, especially if they play, like, three Neil Young songs during uh, the movie. like <laughs> So they're not subtle about it. No. All right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure in the book he probably calls them the Neil Young chops or something. It wouldn't surprise me if he calls them. His, his, but it wouldn't surprise me if Thomas Pinchon did that just to be, like, just to be a dick right. about it. Um, let me run down. So that was... Most of, uh, are, were the first four issues of a comic book series called The Names. Uh, it's a nine-issue series. It's right. uh, it's Peter Milligan, and I can't remember the artist's name right now. Peter Milligan's uh, well-known X-Force run with Mike Allred and, and stuff is really good. Uh, but The Names is kind of a thriller. Okay. And uh, he takes a thing where... You know how everything has a name. You know how there's this nameless organization tracking you. So his joke on that is it's called the names. Okay. They're literally called the names, and they have these special cell phones, and they run the econ like the economies of worlds by the world by, uh, you know, pressuring people and killing people and doing all this stuff. And there's uh, their hitman is called the surgeon, and uh, the the ma- the protagonist is a. Uh, African American lady named Katia who uh, married a rich Wall Street banker who 
commits suicide at the beginning of the whole series. And it's uh, it's really interesting. There's a lot of perverted stuff because it's Peter Milligan writing a creator-owned right. stuff, and he likes to throw curveball, little perverted curveball, curveballs at you. But it's actually the art is exceptional, and the covers. Every cover so far has done an excellent job of taking all of the elements from the story of that issue, turning it into this really fascinating cover that doesn't give anything away. Nice. Um, I've got it at the store. I, was, I just went through and alphabetized all my comics because store management. Yeah. Um, but I was I was kind of looking at it like, okay, I have no idea what the fuck this is about. All I know is, it is it's a nine-issue series, so I guess I need to take a look at it. I don't know if anybody's bought any issues. But I'm ordering them, so hey. <laughs> yeah, it's the one struggle with like creator own stuff. If you're not, if you don't have like a full blown comic book store where people just come, just come there all the time for comics, it can be. You know, honestly, I, I wouldn't have it any other way because having just a straight up comic book store, you know, that's where you, you know, I have several female employees, and that's the one thing is that you have people constantly challenging them like. You know, the comic book nerds come in and go, oh, you don't know a fucking thing about comics. Which, which I hate. It's like, yeah, it's and, like and then they're just like, crap and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, like, and it's just like, oh, okay, I know about Hawkeye, I know about this, these are the comics I'm subscribed to, fuck off. Well, at this point, but you know, there, the, 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 are, there the, the, is real data that 50% of the comic book reading population, whether they're reading comic books or manga or, or ordering graphic novels or reading things digitally, there are a, at least... Chicks love manga. <laughs> well, oh. but it's like they. S- well, the, the uh, what I basically what I was just trying to get around to is yes, the creep factor. I, but yeah, and <laughs> the thing I like about having a store that does movies, music, games, comics, toys. Quit pitching your store. Fuck off. Um, is the the thing I like about it is when women walk in, it's not like record scratch. Everybody stares at them as they walk through the store and go. There's a woman. There's estrogen in the room. God. Yeah, it's. You can smell it. <laughs> wow. Depends on Thanks the time. Thanks for going of the there. <laughs> um, but not everybody stops. You can have a civil conversation with somebody without them feeling awkward. Yeah. Like it's or the same for just anybody being treated like shit. Like, right. You're not a real nerd, which I don't even understand yeah. anymore at this well, point. Well, um, there's there's this great YouTube video. I can't even remember who fucking does it, but it's these two guys that are just like. Okay, let me break down the nerd, the women are not real nerds thing. And it's just them going like, okay, so they cosplay. So they're just doing it to feel sexy and get attention. Why would they want attention from us? Plus, they're spending hundreds of dollars making their costumes. Thousands sometimes. Thousands sometimes. And they're spending this time making something just to, so that they get your attention. No, they what the love fu- the characters. Yeah, what, what the, the fuck makes you feel so special? So wouldn't that, by definition, make them a nerd? And you know, just going through and breaking down all of these arguments and taking them to their natural conclusions and going, "What the fuck are you guys talking about? This this is a great thing. Don't fuck it up for us." Seriously, don't fuck it up. Nerd is overused, anyways. Everyone's a nerd about something. Yeah, 
Nerds there are football nerds, season. soccer nerds, comic yeah. book nerds. I mean, movie I mean, nerds. To, to be fair, my dad is a um, Your dad's stats a hardcore. nerd. <laughs> hardcore yeah. stats nerd. He yeah, keeps he, notebooks about it. Yeah, he keeps notebooks of every single game with the stats of every single. You know, that is just, the nerdiest thing yeah, that I've heard so far this evening. Yeah, and it's just like I, I don't. And we're I, all nerds, and I don't watch football at all. But you know, he's watching a manly thing, and he's keeping notebooks full of stats. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, that's his thing. He's a statistician at heart. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, but uh, the another one uh, that I finally got completely caught up on is Trees by Warren Ellis and Jason that, Howard. Yeah, that's the one I've been... The one thing that's so fascinating about it is it's... So there's like... I think there's five stories that are going on concurrently in every issue. Simultaneously around the world that all deal with these unexplained alien trees that appeared 10 years ago are they nice trees well we don't know yet are they they have they raped anybody yet yet? no they have not they have not raped anybody has anybody fallen in love with the trees no they have are there tomatoes no no tomatoes they have possibly spread a fungal type of plant to in the antarctic yeah which one of the one of the characters is a researcher and he's studying them and so there's fungus in our Antarctica now. Is this the like thing full grown like? Well, that's there is kind. Of, I think they even do an homage in one of the lines to the thing okay. of like because okay. there because there's a research base in yeah in Antarctica because there's a tree in Antarctica. So, so obviously but, uh, they build a base around it. There's only one more issue on this story arc. So okay. everything will be wrapped up, and then everything in this one will be wrapped up. He said each one's going to be an independent, and they're already working. He's already worked on on the story for the second one. See, um, honestly, as a comic book manager, that's one of the things that kind of drives me insane about comics right now is that I'm going through and I'm ordering comics, and a new series will pop up. And it'll be Neonomicon or what you know, whatever it is. And I'll be like, okay, I'll order that. And it'll go for five issues. And then around that same time next year, it'll be Neonomicon. No subtitle. Just fucking Neonomicon again. No, they're gonna call it like they're gonna call it trees something else. So. Okay. Well yeah. but but that's my thing is that there's certain series like uh, Zombies versus Robots or Ninjas versus Ro- or whatever the fuck it is that I'm pretty sure there's both of those series yeah, out there. Every single it's like every single year or every other year they come up with a new series of it. But they don't give it a new title. Or yeah, and so it's like Do they even keep numbering it. Like, there's not any numbers. That's terrible. So it's like okay, I'm gonna either or- give it consecutive numbers or give it a subtitle. Yeah, I'm gonna order this, and it's like okay, cool. And then I order the few issues. I you know I even have some of the older ones of them. And then a year year and a half later, I'm looking through the book. Oh hey, there's this cool thing, new thing called Zombies versus Robots. Okay, let me uh, order that. Oh wait, it's just a, the next series by the same guy doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. a year and a half later. What the fuck? Which Come can, on, guys. Which can be frustrating. And uh, the one thing I did, I listened to the whole podcast serial. See, I, I was just about. I um just went through and added like something like fifteen new podcasts to my repertoire, and well, uh, the good thing is over. Like the twelve episodes right, are yeah. over, so I could just binge listen to it while I was right delivering pizzas. Uh, fascinating. It's just fascinating. Uh, for, as from a writer, as from a researcher, as from like just as a person who's watched a shit ton and read a shit ton of what is serial about? 
the serial is about a, re- a reporter uh, investigating the conviction of a man in 1999 named uh, named Adnan Syed, who possibly who was convicted of murdering his ex girlfriend uh, Hay uh, on like January 13th. 1999 was what it was but over the course of the actual like podcast they reveal lots of different details that they don't come to a conclusive conclusive ending I will say that but the thing is is it's just fascinating to see like how much the state rode on very very circumstantial things to prove their case, and they mostly just yeah. like use the his character, you know, the fact that he was, you know, a Muslim teenager, but here he is drinking and smoking and having sex, and do, and I'm like, he's doing everything every typical high school student in America is doing because he's a typical high school student in America. <laughs> well, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was actually put on jury duty for a child molestation case. Which is particularly, you know, soul destroying, um, as it would be, as yeah. it would be, because you have to actually look at. Well, they they the actually evidence, didn't so. even do that, and they had the kids record videos, and then decided not to show them to us. Hmm. And there was a lot of stuff where it was just like, okay, here's the biggest one for me, and this is the I I was it was very um, once we got put into the um, room, couldn't take cell phones in. I couldn't. I didn't have time to let my wife know. Hey, I'm gonna be in jury duty until we're done. Yeah, like I'm gonna be done. in this room trying to decide if this man is guilty or not guilty. Yeah, you know, and it was 12 hours. Um, but one of the things was is that the girl said that he used the phrase "suck my cock meat sandwich." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I obviously, don't want to laugh, but it's... Obviously, <laughs> you guys know what this uh, is from. Yeah, uh, yeah. Harold and Kumar, Guantanamo Bay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, for me, as a rational... <laughs> I, I couldn't remember what it was, but I knew it was from something. Yeah, as a rational 20-something-year-old male, I'm going, no fucking 40s adult male is going to say this to 12-year-old girls or something like that. You never know, man. You never know. <laughs> Some people are really but, fucked up. But it, for to me, it sounds like something that... Perhaps he the, thought it was the hip and cool thing to say. It might have been. It also sounds like three, you know, yeah. three girls would go, that's the thing that an adult would say to somebody else because we saw it in yeah. a, adult comedy. Yeah. And I try bringing that up in Did the delivery... Did they deliver- try to have a pantsless party? <laughs> but but it, was, it was stuff like that, and it was like... Okay, and it was, you know, they didn't give good timelines. So, like, when I tried to ask while we were in the room, like, hey, what was the timeline? Like, that would tell me a lot. They go, all the information you were given in the courtroom is what you'll have. Wow. And that's what's really cool about Serial is, like, she examines, she, like, deconstructs the timeline. Right. You know, from different stories and deconstructs the whole state's case. And so you just, like... You kind of see, like, how fucked up. Like, right. how did they get there? Like, that doesn't make any... How did you convince someone that that's what... 
Well, was... like like with mine, and I'm not going to get into all the details and stuff like can't. that. But the 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 well, it's it's years ago. Who, I know, who but... the fuck knows? But the the thing about it is, there were people who came in. You know, it as I said, twelve angry men. They came in with their minds made up. Yeah. And you try and make a good fight against it, and there's nothing to change those people's minds. Yeah. And anything you say, whether it's from personal experience, trying to do anything, it's just personal attacks, you know, being one of three people that says, not guilty. Not not that he's in- innocent, that he's just, not guilty yeah, by yeah. preponderance of the evidence. There's not enough there to yeah. say, there yes, to he him. did Yeah, that. and then to yeah. go into the courtroom and go, we are a hung jury. We cannot make a decision on this. There are three of us who cannot do this. Can yeah. we? Can we go home? Please try a little bit harder. Okay. Can we have some pizza? <laughs> <laughs> can we get some food in here? Yeah. Yeah. You can have some food, we but please quiet. try harder. Okay. We've had food now. Look, we're really tired. Sure. Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll get them on two things, but I'm not going to get them on every single one, and I'm not going to do the maximum penalty on this. Yeah. And that that's what that's honestly where it came down to is me going the only one I have pause on that I think could have happened is this one. And so this, I will say yes on this. And this one. is what I'll agree to. Yeah, this is one out of like nine counts. I will say what this person says, that's the only one that struck struck me as this could be true. Yeah. The rest feel like we're going to back up. So they fired a shotgun and hit with one little piece. Right. And so it was like it was like out of 12, I think yeah. it ended up being three counts, and it wasn't for the maximum penalty. Yeah. Then we finished. The guy went away. Actually, the guy was about ready to sign, sign a plea bargain beforehand whenever he – Basically, actually, here, here's <laughs> That how, makes you feel better as well, a juror. Here, here's here's how, how amazing it is, is that we weren't sure what we should be writing down. So we literally wrote down – Three for guilty, nine for innocent. Or you know, nine, nine for guilty, three for innocent. Yeah. And he saw that and went, holy shit. Like, they had to show him what we wrote down. Like, wow. we could, if we had just said, we're hung, yeah, would have been different. But because we said, nine for guilty, three for innocent. Couldn't you have just walked in there and been like, I'm hung. And that's <laughs> the end of it. I mean, you know what? There's a Pringles can involved. <laughs> I could have just... <laughs> you know, threw it out there would have been good. So this is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody here enjoys it, but uh, but yeah, definitely I would. There's been a lot of hype about it. It went viral, all that stuff. But like, it's actually really good. Like, it lives up to the hype. I've I've added it. I mean to listen to it. Um, I just added like twelve things, and even one of uh, like two of them I've already dropped off. Just listening to the first episode, kind of going, yeah, this isn't what I'm looking. Yeah, for. I always like I'll start something and then I'll be like. Nah, <laughs> but uh, I re- I finished uh, Motel Chronicles by Sam Shepard, collection of short stories and poems. They don't really interrelate, but Sam Shepard's kind of one of the first kind of microfiction writers. He's also a famous actor. What What would you define as microfiction? Uh, or I should say flash fiction. Okay, was, if you say yeah. If you say flash fiction, I'm totally cool. I understand. I yeah. don't need any. I have no yeah. idea what y'all are talking most, about. Most of them, flash fiction is generally under a thousand words. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there was only one story that was would be 
technically considered a short story. It was like 16 pages. Okay, well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely a short story. Yeah, uh, but that was the only one that was that long. Most of them were a page, half a page. Sometimes one was one was a paragraph. There were a couple three-page stories right. in there, but like most of it is kind of flash fiction. But it's very much some of it's you can tell is autobiographical, like. About growing up in small towns and living right. and being a some of there's some of being an actor and stuff in Hollywood and stuff, but but being like the guy who's you know can actually rope a horse and live on a ranch and raise his own food and do all that. Like oh, what you it's know, like that, to be that, sort of that kind of outsider character right. in, that, in that process, but it's really, um, I would say overall, uh, probably a seven out of ten. Some of the stories are really, really good, and some of the poems are really, really good. It's from 1981, I do believe. So 13 out of 18 horse whips. Shh! <laughs> 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 uh, no, uh, but I would say overall, uh, overall Pretty decent. very good. I, f- I finished a book of poems by Thomas uh, Transtormer. He is a Norwegian poet. He won the Nobel Prize four years ago, I do believe. He's in his... 70s or 80s <laughs> he finally won the nobel prize in like 2011 about time yeah uh but it was a book of various uh various different selections from it was like a greatest hits in a way okay but uh of like from each of his books that he'd released of poetry it was after the first couple of poems i was like i don't know i don't know but i got to the second section I had trouble putting it down sometimes because it was so engaging and the the voice he the the, the translator used yeah. to translate the poems in English was very effective and very very captivating. He's very much into stark images like he'll just literally uh he'll just tell you the image without like without any without a lot of exposition. Output. Okay. But then sometimes you'll see like It'll come later in the later in the story of the poem and just smash you in the face with it, and you're like, "Wow, wow!" It, it's been a long time, honestly, since I've read any poetry. Uh, I think the last book I, of poetry I bought, other than reading Shane Kozan and um, Mike McGee stuff, um, was um, Eyes Vice book, and. On a, I actually just picked that up because I tried going for a speech in college, but it was very much one of those hierarchy sort of things. You go in and they're like, "Okay, you're going to be researching the articles and cutting them out for the, you know, for the <laughs> seniors to read." Wow. It's like, "Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Bye." But yeah, uh, but overall, I mean, I I read poetry all the time. Do you read a lot of limericks? Not always. <laughs> Not always. Oh, uh, disappointed. Um. Depends on the poet. Some poets don't write limericks, so it's kind of hard to be like, I'm going to read limericks today, <laughs> and you're reading someone's book of poetry, and they don't have any limericks. So. Well, then I think it's a failed book of poetry. Right. That's all I'm saying. But the one thing that I uh, I was actually finally got to meet Nathan Brown. He's a local poet, but he was Oklahoma Poet Laureate last year. Uh, but uh, I got to meet him last year for the first time. Friends of mine have told me to... You'll get along for years, and we just never met up. Did you get along? Yes, we did. We okay. talked for like we talked poetry for hours at our at a mutual friends. It was a mutual friends reading that we met at, and uh, but 
he was telling me, he's like, you know, he's like, I read poetry every single day. And I was like, I write a lot. Uh, I like to write a lot. I like poetry a lot. Maybe I should take this a little more seriously. <laughs> so I try I try and make sure that I read po I am always reading a poetry book and I'm always you know, and I just want to keep that up. Like, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth doing. That's kinda of one of my failings as a writer is that honestly I've I've just gotten into fantasy like over the past maybe five or six years. What I still I, haven't really gotten into it. What I mean, uh, what I grew up with was horror. Like Dean Koontz was the the author I read all the time. The only person you ever talked about. See, well, and you know, Daryl, <laughs> both Nathan and Daryl know me from my childhood. <laughs> they actually remember shit that I don't. He doesn't well, know himself anymore. See, it's amazing. I, I don't, what I really remember is when he got when he was like you know sixteen and he could yeah check out. Stephen King books and not let his mom know. And he would always <laughs> well, be reading to, Stephen King. To, to be yeah. fair, when I, I wa- remember my senior I, I year, you were re- reading It. Like oh, whole. yeah. Well, and It is one of my favorite novels. I've read it four or five times. But, like, to be fair, in junior high, I was reading Cujo, and I remember a bunch of the kids, like, you know, sitting at Brink in the cafeteria. Asking you why you were reading? No. Well, no, it was me reading... <laughs> that would have not it, been surprised. <laughs> well, it was, it was me reading Cujo, and... There's a scene where the guy basically in hit, you know, Stephen King was fucked up on cocaine. He doesn't even remember writing the book. Yeah. But there's a scene where the guy's just like, "Okay, you know what? I've been having an affair with this woman. She's called it off. Here's my revenge." And he just masturbates on her bedspread and then just leaves his jizz all over the place <laughs> and just like showing my fuck? just showing my friends like, "Man, this is a fucked up passage." <laughs> so I, I remember that in junior high. That's one of my few junior high memories I have. Like junior high is the point where I start actually start having conscious memories. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, before that, it's just like <laughs> or fortunate. I, I got know. my fingers cut off at one point. I remember that really well, but I don't remember yeah. anything else. But then again, I've now started to realize that I have a very selective memory. Yeah, you like do. Katie um, just wrote a post on her um, blog about actually it wasn't even on her blog it was about graham's birth which was very traumatic i remember it well at least i thought i did (laughs) and then she has a thing in this new piece she wrote for owfi that is about the moment we returned home without our son i don't remember this (laughs) i think she's making it up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but she says that at one point we came home in order to nap. Yeah. And um, she went to his bedroom and started crying, and I held her. All I'm right. like, good to know I was a good husband. <laughs> at least I did. Way to go past me. You yeah, did well. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember it. I remember. Thanks, past me. I remember her being in the hospital. I remember me coming home several times and having... Honestly, just no real feelings about it. Just like my son is in the ice or in the NICU, yeah. And I got to get some stuff and go go back there. Not like, what are we doing? You know, no, nothing to break me down and go. My son is in trouble. I'm a failure or anything like that. It was just I need to get the stuff I need to get and get back. But even that, the way I'm saying it now, sounds like there's way too much emphasis on movement yeah it still sounds like you're totally avoiding the whole 
both of you came back. Well, but also, but, well, what, what I'm also saying, just but your what, own emotional process. Right, but, but I'm it, saying yeah. I, I didn't have any emotional crisis at that point. I don't I don't freak out about stuff. And the way I'm saying it now makes it sound like, okay, it, I need to get back. No, I need to get it, back it, now. It sounds like you did freak out. You freaked out enough to overlook all of it. It sounds like you're on an adrenaline rush and you're doing this, yeah, this, 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 and this. Yeah. Check this off the list. I did. Wife I is crying. Okay, took care of wife. She's done crying. Okay, grab the other bag. Pack some more clothes. Okay, she's good to go. We're good. It sounds like. Like that, just like, checklist. I, I you were you were probably a, you were probably literally at that point where you you were numb from everything, yeah. and so you were just on your checklist. I, I honestly, so... I, but as I said, I don't remember her coming home. I remember us going to the um, infant room. The first movie Grandman, uh, you know, we watched as a family mm-hmm. was Ted. Awesome. <laughs> Come on, how many? How yeah. I, there could not be a better movie for Graham to start out with. And so, you know, the only thing probably better would have been Never Ending Story, and that's just so I could insert despair into his life that early. <laughs> could have um, been Never Ending crush, Story crush too. Crush his soul. Yeah, yeah, right there. And I remember that, but I don't remember her coming home. I, 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 I still think of it as her stuck in the hospital. Have you thought about maybe she was lying to you? She maybe she didn't come home. She just wants you to think. Yes, totally. On. That that's my entire point is that she's a liar. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. that. <laughs> no, no, seriously, she's writing this. I want to put doubt into your. She's mind. writing this story, and for me, I'm reading it. and I'm going, that's not how things happened. Yeah, and that's how I feel whenever I talk to you guys. Is that I'm just like, <sighs> I don't remember this at all. I I, I don't. Daryl Daryl and I went to go see Weird Al Yankovic together. Yeah, that was at uh, Rose State. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to Rose State. I remember it snowing. I don't remember Daryl there. Yeah. <laughs> do, but, you, do you remember our? But I remember our physics class. <laughs> I, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that's the, as soon as high school hit. I remember. I do remember us in the cul-de-sac in Stone Meadows. Yeah. With Josh. Okay. Do you remember Josh? Yeah. No. No. I remember Josh. Yeah, and all the, all the weird like fake fighting shit we used to do. Yeah. I remember that. That's about it. Yeah. Like everything before that's just like okay, I've got spots of bad memories, yeah. but nothing as a cohesive whole to tell me who and what I was at that point. I don't think you were entirely present for the most part either. Uh, like even if you were there, you were just kind of you kind of tagged along. And that that might be true. It, honestly, I don't think it was until the end of junior high that I actually like became more of an extrovert and became more like talking to every single person because I know in high school yeah. my thing was I showed up at you know six seven o'clock in the morning I was there before everybody else showed up I hung out with all the seniors yeah. so much so that all the seniors whenever I was a sophomore thought that I was a senior because I spent all the time with everybody I was in all the extra physics or I was you know I was in all the um, English and math classes I promised they didn't think you were a senior there were a well. couple there was a couple who did <laughs> oh I, I mean, we didn't really hang out a whole lot until it was my senior year, and you were right. a junior that year. So I mean, like, I don't, I don't think because we had like two classes. I think we even had two classes together, not right. just one. And so I did think you were a senior for like most of the year. And then I went, "You're, you're only a junior." Like, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I remember well, having um, a conversation. Well, and it was like you know, that. and I was a, uh, um, uh. Bobby Robles was yeah. um, Grand Sensei Slack. Yeah, all, all of the all of the we were we were all Slack, slack masters. Yeah, in physics, 
Like because I had looked at the Church of the Subgenius <laughs> at this point, and this became our well, um, religion in our physics class. Yeah, and our and our teacher Adams decided to put all of the slackers, including Pizzini, in mm-hmm. one group. In one group together Ouch. for our big project. And what literally happened is that we were like, hey, let's hang out a couple times. And we just waited till the last week before it was due. And then we put together this perfect roller coaster thing that never once failed. But we did it in surprising. Yeah, but we did it in the last week that it was due. And she's like, I knew you guys would succeed. At my grandfather's shop. Right. We did the whole thing. Yeah, and she's like, I knew you guys would do it. You just wait till the last fucking second. It's like, you know, it's true. Because I'm pretty sure every class period we had to work on it, all we did was so stick around. We sat and in the back. Yeah, you're saying she set you up to fail. She did, um, and I actually got a like I would have failed that class, but she's like, I know you know your shit. You just don't want to do the work. I was like, you are right, and so I got a D in the class. I was like, okay, cool, I passed. I'm, I'm good. still passing. Yep. I'm, I'm good. I mean, higher than that. I mean, like a B. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I, 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 I literally did, just sat back with Bobby. Work, so. Which I think, yeah. yeah. I haven't run into Bobby in a while, but I used to hang out with his brother a lot. But uh, the other thing to finish this off... And I no, no, to, I'm sorry, uh, sir. We are going to talk about high school now every <laughs> single... You know, we're going to recount every single day until I have a full memory. It's okay. Uh, uh, I don't think you want to do that. Yeah, I, I really don't. I'm sure there's plenty of high school both me and Daryl don't want to ever think about. <laughs> we talked about that last podcast. Well, it's not just that. It's just high I'm school. I'm not even going into that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did start uh, Vladimir Nabokov's Pale Fire. Which so you you're saying you haven't started Mark Z. Danielevsky's? No, because I'd already checked out Pale Fire. Okay, and I had and I had kind of started it when I was had my flu, and I hadn't really like dug into it, and so I'm trying to like read it now that it's supposed to be back at the library before I've taken back the library. It's okay, okay. and uh, then then I need to move into my pile of books that I got for for Christmas this year. Okay. So Daryl. Now the now Let's, the thing about Daryl, um You're gonna talk shit about me to my face? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. Well Sweet. no no what I was gonna say is that Daryl and I hang out a lot during the week, uh, for multiple days consecutively. So much so that at certain points during the week, Daryl has told me he's gone, Man, it's been a while since I've seen Justin. No way, I've seen him for the last three days. In a row. In a row, <laughs> but it all just feels like it's one day. So um, between the two of us, that we'll have true. probably watched the same and watched and played the same things recently. So yeah, More or less, you play a lot more than I do, though. Yeah, it really just depends. So, uh, Daryl, what have you been consuming? Depends on the 12-hour days. Um, iced tea. Been consuming a lot of iced tea lately. <laughs> Is it delicious? Um, to be fair, that's a genuine statement. I don't normally drink tea, but I'm liking it so far. Well, I'm glad. I'm getting that's not the uh, gist of this podcast, though. <laughs> well, you know, He's transitioning into a tea lover. <laughs> True. Uh, let's see. Um, I just watched season one and two of Marin, which is Mark Marin's TV show. I don't know what channel it comes on. It's on Netflix. What is it about? The comedian Mark Marin. Oh, okay. it's basically Louis C.K. In fact, he was in an episode of. Louis, as himself, as a comedian. Of course. 
And I really didn't know who Mark Marin was until a couple of years ago. I saw some stand up of his just online. I'm pretty sure I still don't know who Mark Marin is. He, he's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. He, he has his own podcast. Oh, yes. good. That yes. Actually, it's, it's, wait, wait, wait. A that was actually it's very relevant. So, so he paid the money to get into this whole podcasting shtick? No, no, he put in like an extra twenty something years to get into podcasting. Yes, yeah. he was okay. a comedian for a really long time. Well, I mean, I, I just paid like thirty thousand dollars to start this up. So yeah, bullshit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of his stuff is very bucks. angsty and <laughs> kind of angry, and it, it's it's interesting to see somebody who's transitioning into being a uh, being in their fifties, having done stand up comedy and all that, which I love stand up. I, I love comedians. It, it's fun. Are you going to go to Christopher Titus uh, at the uh, the twenty ninth? Unaware that he was coming here at UCO. Oh, don't don't tell me. I already things like that. Oh, okay. Look at you. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, Dick. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm letting you know what? now. You should get oh. tickets. <laughs> Might have to do that. They're pretty cheap. They're not very expensive. I wouldn't How imagine they would be. Cheap? <laughs> Like twenty five for regular tickets. Okay, yeah. that sounds good. But yeah, his show's pretty good. It he deals with the podcasting aspect that that's in every show. He has okay. a new guest on every day and all that. You should definitely check it out. It, it's quite funny. I tried to watch it when it first came on Netflix uh, a little while back. I watched the first episode and I really disliked it for whatever reason. I don't know. I might have been in a bad mood. That 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 determines a lot, I suppose. But anyways, I went through and watched it all within the last week or so, and it was pretty good, enjoying it, very mm-hmm. weird, but it's very much kind of a ripoff of that whole uh, Jim Jeffries kind of show, Louie. Where they just yeah, turn their just stand-up comedy into, into like their- a pretend everyday life of them, so that's cool. I enjoy it. I've heard uh, some of the episodes are actually like... From his podcast episodes, like they took the podcast episodes and they turned them into... Yeah, part of the show is like him doing his podcast, and I haven't listened to any of his podcasts. I do not listen to podcasts. I find it weird. Because it's like... (laughs) Well, no, it's like either one person, two, three people, however many people are on the podcast are having a conversation with me, but I'm not allowed to talk to them and or they're just not listening to me, and it annoys me. Okay, so so I, I do have to mention this. Um... After high it's school, around like. college, um, I actually called a friend of mine and got her voicemail. And I'm known whenever I leave voicemails that I leave like a minute and a half long voicemails. Yeah. And so I just had a conversational. I had something to talk to her about. I left a minute and a half long voicemail, got off the phone. And about an hour and a half later, I get a text from her saying, I listened to your voicemail. I forgot it was a voicemail and started talking back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my problem is that I'm generally like, oh hey, yeah. So I was thinking about this, 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 and this, and blah, 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 and talk for you know two, three minutes, and then inject your random thought into somebody else's statement. I yes. don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> so, you're good at um, that. So Daryl, he's really good at that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, last night I saw Taken Three. Oh, how was the that? Token. Um, well, a lot of people so far have told me nobody got taken in it, and the only reason Liam Neeson did it is because nobody's getting taken. I'm, I have to argue his wife was taken permanently, and <laughs> she didn't have much of a character anyways, but... Permanently. And it's not really a spoiler. I think they give it away in the trailer. It is I don't in the know. trailer. It, it was really terrible. They uh, murder his wife. They uh, They slit her throat like... 
eight years before she died because she was in the morgue with like a scar over her throat that and like it had healed up entirely in the past uh, 12 hours since she died. It very much looked like an R-rated movie that was censored, cut up. It, so like Live Free or Die Hard? No, no, it's not even like that. It's way worse. Than than live for your die hard. I actually enjoy live for your die hard, the PG thirteen version. It's stupid as hell, but I was gonna say, why I, would you enjoy that? Because it's stupid. Okay, it, it, it it's fine, but with like Taken three, it's not even that. It's like okay, we're gonna do this manhunt movie, gonna do the fugitive ripoff here, but as you do, we're gonna take characters from Taken and they're gonna shoot, kill people. There's gonna be no blood in the movie except for this little trickle of blood on her neck when she gets killed, which, which you don't sense. see. It's off camera. Like I've bled more from nicking myself shaving than she bled from having her throat slashed. Which is kind of interesting. Yet again, back to Hannibal season two. There's so much blood. Like, yeah, no, no. In comparison, you know? Hannibal two is like the most violent fucking thing I have ever seen. <laughs> Whereas Tech, Taken Three is like a G-rated movie. Well, that, that's, that's in comparison. Kind of my, that's kind of my problem with um, Nolan's movies as yeah. of late. Is that everything has to be PG thirteen, and so you know you have parts in Inception where they're shooting people in the forehead. Yeah, and there's just a black dot, and then they're running people over with cars, pulling back, slamming them in again. And then the person rolls away, and he's like, oh, I'm okay. No, this is way worse. A guy takes a gun, puts it in his own mouth, sort of, and blows his brains out, and there is not one drop of blood. Motherfucker. And there's, like, a close-up of his head on the floor. Just, I demand I am, blood. It's it. It's not even, the, like, I need to see nastiness. It's, man, you gotta give me some physical evidence that something just happened. I mean, I get more out of, as you said, a TV show on basic, it's like a network. Television. It's like 8 <laughs> o'clock on Fridays or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I get more in one second of that show than I did the entire movie of Taken 3. And it was weird because it very much felt like that. You see the final showdown with this very vague boss, and it's just like, oh, he died now. I, I forgot he'd even been... Sh- I didn't even realize he got shot. It was weird. Like, the whole thing just... See, the the, the Taken series overall has just kind of been meh for me. I like the first one okay. I never saw The first movie. one is a ton so. of fun. He well, romps the, the, all over Europe, the, the, the fighting thing I liked all the bad guys, freeing prostitutes. The thing I liked about the first one was that, except for one moment in the movie, everything he does is under his own control. Yeah. And the one moment it doesn't is where it becomes a Steven Seagal movie. Yeah. Where the pipe suddenly, there he's able to break the pipe because there's a little gap there, and that's what's able to save him. You know, But everything else in that movie is just like, you are know you, what? Are you, are you complaining about coincidence in movies? Yeah, okay. But, he but, happened but, to luck it, out one time out of those t- 200 times that he had right. a problem. I'm, I'm, but still, for me, the rest of the movie is everything is, not that he has everything planned, but that he's able to execute on the situation and turn it to his advantage. Yeah, he's and then a professional one, in that sense. Right, and then there's one sec- section where there's no way for him to get out except for coincidence. The screenwriter. The screenwriter right, right. needed him to get out. Right. That's, and, that's my hey, favorite. And, and guess what? It still comes down joke. to the fact that he's a professional and he found a way to get out of that situation. He found a solution to his problem, whatever it was. 
that has nothing to do with the third movie where things just kind of happen. He makes things worse. Somehow say, he doesn't end up going to prison, which is amazing. I America okay, assault like assault on an it officer take place in America, whether or not you're guilty of the America. crime they're chasing you for. I mean, yes, it, it could take place. It's in insane. He, he attacks people with cars and they're just like, <laughs> oh, right. Our bad. You weren't guilty because is he yeah. a transformer? It's weird. I I zoned out at like a client a very the climax so you, you of the chase when you the climax of the chase scene. I zoned out, and there was like an explosion in a building. I guess he crashed a car into a girl. I don't know what happened, and it was just oh he magically escaped. Well, he, it, it was weird. He's motherfucking Liam Neeson. That's fine. I can run with that. But the movie was terrible. And Qui-Gon Jinn. That movie <laughs> was way me. worse. But <laughs> we won't go into that. Anywho, yeah, Taken 3, I wouldn't recommend it. It's atrocious. Forrest Whitaker is in it, and he does a good job of playing Forrest Whitaker. Is he Ghost Dog in this one? No, no, he plays with a chess piece for no damn reason because he's playing chess with Liam Neeson. Get it? There's some kind of thing going on there. And he's he plays with a rubber band a lot. He, it's character. Are they, is he naked? Uh, no, that might have made it. An interesting movie. Does he have a martini glass full of jelly beans? No, no martini glass full of jelly beans. I think that we were robbed. <laughs> yeah, I you was. I haven't seen the movie and I feel robbed. You should. It was... I, I don't even want to make a comment. I, I mean, the second movie was... I didn't finish that sentence, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I refused to finish that sentence. Yeah, the second movie was way better, and the second movie was crap. So I, I really enjoyed the first movie. The third one is atrocious. I, it was awful. So what else have you seen? Uh, Let's see. I don't know. I hadn't gotten to watch a whole lot else so okay. recently. Played any games? Read any books? No, outside of Listen the little bit music? of Hotline Miami I've played. So, what is this Hotline Miami? Don't even start. You know what Hotline Miami is. <laughs> I played it at your house. Trying to so, do you want me to talk about me. it? Yeah, you talk about Hotline Miami, and I'll comment on the rooster. Okay, cool. No, I won't. I take that back. You son of a bitch. Okay, so is that it for you? Yeah, more or less. I've listened to a whole lot of music, and I couldn't tell you the name of any of the bands I listened to because I hated everything I listened to. So, um, speaking of yeah, music... If I, you don't have a two-minute breakdown in your song, it's not music. I don't get that. <laughs> well um so i got i got really excited or well i've been trying to limb biscuit <laughs> what about i felt like that was a non sequitur because i don't feel it, like... it actually all fits together but i figured Wait, if i just threw down limb biscuit you would go what so okay let me listen all crappy rap rock yeah actually so um i bought the three dollar bill y'all oh CD. yeah you rebought it you mean i re- well i owned it in oh, a wait, previous no. life. I remember sorry, getting it from... It no, no, I actually went to my store and bought it. No, 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 I'm saying originally... No, no, I actually got it from BMG Music. Yeah, see, oh. that's what I was going to say. I got it from the same place because you recommended BMG to me and I got 12 free CDs. Totally and then forgot told, that And then you told them, hey, there. I didn't order these. Yes, exactly. It exactly. was the great play I, as I, a 14-year-old. Hey, I didn't buy these. Yeah, actually, I did that fucking twice. I got them for free, and then I got my mother onto that thing, and then she ordered more CDs for me. It was amazing. So I do remember that. I don't remember telling you about it, but oh, I remember Oh, yeah, we had a long conversation over the phone because you were there the entire time. See, I, we're, I we're covering this. memories for you. See, there you go. That, that's, that's the good thing about this having you guys here. 
So um, I suggest we split off to a new podcast, Justin's Memory <laughs> Palace, where we recover all of Justin's memories so he can hate himself even more. Um, so, so I you bought, bought $3 bill, y'all? I've bought $3 bill, y'all, for one purpose only, the hidden song after Faith. I don't even remember. I yeah, don't I don't even remember it. It's him um, rapping for a minute. Okay. Um Oh, what is so you it? Actually, bought something to listen to Fred Durst rapping. Yes, I Why did. Why didn't you just like YouTube it? Um, because it's not on YouTube. Really? They, yeah, it's no. The um one version I've called heard is called called Stereotype Me. The other one's called Blind. Um, am I a freak in the darkness? Who am I? You misfit. You speak of opinions. You think you're so deep, but it's all right. You're just an illusion, confused by your narrow mind. Reality is up ahead in the distance, but that lack of persistence has left you behind. So you're reaching for your sanity, because you're afraid of me, so don't fuck with me. You want to ask me a question? Well, I got a question. How much longer can I tolerate this shit? Ego's trip when you're living on the flip side, drop out of a uterus and goddamn. I see you pointing your fingers. You stereotype me because you don't like me. Well, you don't even know me. Punk. You don't know me. It's either called blind or stereotype. Yeah, it's one of those two. You can't on if you look at it on YouTube, they do a weird mix with Corn's Blind that yeah. sucks, and then you can't get the stereotype me version of it. So I had to buy the CD. Now here's the thing: is whenever I used to own this CD, I remember just listening to Faith, and then Stereotype Me would come up behind it, and then it would go to the next song. I put it into my car CD player. The song Faith shows that it's like four minutes long. You listen to it, it hits like two and a half minutes, and then it skips to track ten. So I hit rewind, and it goes into the zero. It goes into negative time and adds a minute and a half to track ten, and then counts itself back down, and then starts playing track ten again. So you time traveled. Exactly. It's a really... (laughs) I don't remember this existing on this CD. I yeah. used to own it, and I, it's. Oh, I don't remember. Either. And I, I don't remember this. But I think I tried to put most of right. my liking well, and, and Fred Durst th- at one point out of my brain. Honestly, the only thing I've liked about I, I used to think I was a Limp Biscuit fan, and then I went back and listened, and I only liked the singles, like four of the singles. Yeah, and I've I have the CD. I just like the drummer. Well, I I have the CD, and like the reason I like that CD is for the um, song. Um, Sour, which had the really weird music video where they're in the house and there's the garden or the the landscaper or whatever. It's okay. You were like 12. It's fine. Well, I went back and watched it and the video is really weird because they keep cutting the song off to just show this guy mowing the lawn. Like, okay, cool. Way to go, Fred Durst. They had a low production budget. Apparently so. So... Corn could only give them so much money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went back. I love. I still love that part. song. I love Faith. I don't like any other. I don't even like Counterfeit. And so I'm, you're a big fan of George Michael. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of of course I am. Come on, Careless yeah. Whisper for life. Careless Careless Whisper is <laughs> one of like the veins of my existence. <laughs> like, I I you know when I you used to, you didn't have to deal with. Like sitting in band rooms. No, I didn't. College, I actually listening I to every band. sax player wanting to fucking play it because it's a fucking YouTube video. Guess guess of some what? Guy running around. No, what? No, what makes me happy though 
is yeah and that that's an amazing clip now is seether's version of careless whisper and the only reason is because you listen to seether yes i do Um, is is that when i go to karaoke because i can't fucking sing is that i can do seether's version of careless whisper unfortunately the place i used to do care used to do karaoke at the um the cook liked to do george michael's careless whisper so if he was doing music, I could not do Careless Whisper, which made me sad in my heart. <laughs> anyway, so I um I bought this CD, listened to listened to it. I have it in my CD player right now. Anytime it pops up, I'm just like, fuck, get back to my MB3 player. I need to listen to a podcast. I need to listen to an audiobook. Fuck this noise. And I take it out and I put it in a band I actually legitimately enjoy, Murder by Death. Which is a really good band. Um for me, for Murder by Death, I really only love two CDs. Well, I only know the I think the the first album that was actually released. Which one for you is that one? Uh, it was like two thousand six. Um, the two I listen to are. Um, I, I mean, I've never owned them. I've just right. I've, I've had friend. I have literally listened to them because of friends had had them and like. All of like 2006 and 2007, we would listen so, to Murder by Death. To be fair, the only reason I know about Murder by Death is because I listened to a podcast called Rebel FM, and one of the guys said he was listening to a band called In Buca Al Lupo. Well, well, Murder by Death is a reference to Neil, right. Neil Simon, yeah. right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, well, he said he was listening to a band called In Boca Al Lupo. And I was like, okay, I'll look that up on Spotify. Couldn't find them. But I found a band called Murder by Death. And I was like, that sounds like that could be nice, hard music. Put it on and went, this is not hard music. But it has a cello and it make, is amazing. And so, it's like grungy, real, well, real Johnny Cash influenced. Oh, yeah. There's there's, music, there's several songs. You know? Well, it's um called, well, I, it's I, called I, uh, Gothic Country. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're like a goth band version of Reverend Horton Heat. Right. Way, um, so th- of being psychobilly there. Right. Know, and they do the slower tempos. And- yeah. So there's two albums I actually love from them, and the rest of them I'm kind of lukewarm on. Yeah. Um, it's Who Will Survive and What Will Be Left of Them, which that one is a concept album, which anybody who knows me knows that I have a really soft place in my heart for concept albums. So do I. Um, and Who Will Survive and What Will Be Left of Them is about the devil assaulting a small Texas or Mexico town. And it is amazing. Um, Gerard Way actually sings on the first track. And then in Boca Al Lupo is the other one I listen to, which if you look at my Spotify year in review, that is the album that I listen to the most and actually fills up most of my top ten tracks. Is that the album? Uh, Yeah. Um, So I put them on whenever I, you know, listen to two tracks of Limp Biscuit and go, okay, I need to get rid of this shit. You still talking yeah, about Limp Biscuit? Uh, well, I'm I more think, talking uh, about Murder by Death. Yeah, I think it's like The Exorcist and then Who Will Survive were the okay, ones yeah. that I've heard. So, so yeah, that one's that one's okay, but it's a first. You know, actually, well, they're the, they're the they're the things I remember, right? And the the next three albums, I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, so beyond that, they probably have a couple good songs on them, but they're just kind of keeping their. They're, right. keep, it, they're it, keeping releasing stuff. Yeah, it just, like that other stuff, as I said, concept albums for me are 
the thing I love. Like Dream Theater has one of my favorite concept albums just because it is so... I can't listen to Dream Theater anymore. <laughs> I, I, I can totally understand that. But there's one there's one album that they released that I have that I absolutely love. But it I just sounds want to like, punch John Petrucci in the face every time I Well, hear it sounds play. like Mega Man music. That that's just what it sounds like. Well, it's like What's after Liquid music? Liquid Tension Experiment, which was like instrumental Dream Theater, basically, right? And then the keyboardist from that joined Dream Theater, and then all of a sudden, every album started sounding like Liquid Tension Experiment albums. <laughs> and I was like, except with James LeBray vocals over them, and I was just like, okay, I don't want to listen. I, there's a reason why Liquid Tension Experiment was a you know they had one and then another, and that's all they ever did. I don't even think they did another one because the guy was in Bloody Dream Theater. <laughs> but it's like... Bloody Dream Theater, is that a spinoff group? No, no. Okay, okay. I would, well, so you're being British now. No, uh, yeah. Well, I, I use Bloody all the time because of yes. watching way too many British movies, So he's trying shows, to be British. books. No, I just use You son of a bitch. Okay, um, so... Um, I'm an American. I take from all cultures. That's what we do. Okay, that is true. <laughs> so, We're um, cultural bastards. I watched Yay. a horror movie called Waxwork. I think if there's an S at the end of that. Waxwork? Is that X or K? KS. I think it is. I can't remember if there's a K or a KS. But I watched it, and it's really bad. Part of the reason I watched it is because of my aforementioned memory problem. Yeah, it's just wax work. Okay, so I have a um, I have a horror movie I've been trying to identify for years. Um, one of my half sisters came to um, stay with me and my family for the summer, and that's a big whole hairy deal where my parents were drafting up paperwork to adopt her because she thought they thought she was staying, but she wasn't. Like, it was literally supposed to be, like, summer vacation sort of deal. Um, but we played Nintendo, and we watched horror movies. The two I remember, one is Arachnophobia. <laughs> Fun movie. Which good one. gave me my fear of arach- or of uh, spiders. Do you ever uh, look under the uh, toilet seat to see if there's spiders, Justin? I do not, actually. I will don't you re- now? Do you open, yes, I will. Do you open every single box at work? I mean... Maybe there's a spider. <laughs> uh, no, but I look around my office quite frequently and see spiders running around. I'm just like, so um, the other one I don't remember. Nobody can tell me what it is. I'm pretty sure I just kind of blended a bunch of shit into my head and made it into this weird well, fucking. Well, you should just write it down and call it your own. And- well, it's a haunted house movie, gray palette. Um, but the big scene I remember is somebody being turned into a statue like in a sitting position. But my brain has conflated it into a statue of Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Okay, so you see what the problem here is. So the closest I've been able to... The Abraham Lincoln stuff didn't even like start until like 2007 when like Abraham Lincoln vampire entered the... Well, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm more talking about like senior trip, the Abraham Lincoln memorial. Oh, oh, oh. You know, that whole thing. So, um, but for some reason, I have the image of some guy being transformed into a statue in a sitting position. And for some reason, it becomes Abraham Lincoln in my head. So I've been trying to figure out this movie. The closest I've been able to come to identifying it is um, Wishmaster. Okay. Where in the movie, Kane Hodder says, I'd like to see you go through me. 
He goes, is that a wish? Or, you know, whatever. And he turns him into stained glass, to which then the guy goes through the glass and kills the guy. Um, my mother, however, suggested waxwork. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've only seen waxwork two in through time, but I'll watch waxwork one. So I watched it. It actually has a lot in common with Cabin in the Woods. It's like being a humor humorous. Well, it's kind of humorous. The idea of it is basically that um, this guy, this really creepy guy in the middle of this upper class neighborhood has a waxwork museum. That actually sounds like a good premise for a horror well, movie. Well, it, it, it's it's really badly acted from yeah. the beginning. But, As a lot of horror movies right. are. So basically what happens is that he invites these teenage or, or college kids or whatever, you know, highbrow, upper class people into his waxwork for like a midnight exhibit before it opens. They come in and the idea is basically like if they go up to look at the the different so does this come exhibits. So 80s. Like 80s? Okay. Yeah. So he pushes them into it and they are transported into the reality of that exhibit so like the first one is a werewolf so the guy's constantly like come on guys what the fuck are you guys doing you know this really elaborate prank guys so it's like a night at the museum version right right so but what they're doing is that he's trying to fill out each of the exhibits with you know souls so that it'll bring apart the end of the world and at one point he is able to bring you know fill up the museum which then makes all of the exhibits come to life so you have dracula you have um marquis de sade you have all this all these different ones come to life at the same point as everybody else is coming to stop the guy from doing it and getting into this big fight but you have all these classic monsters now there's one point where it's the phantom of the opera but it was actually supposed to be jason Voorhees. So they dressed him. Like well, well, Jason no. What Voorhees? what it was is it was, really, it was originally written as Jason Voorhees, and what was interesting is that they came up and goes, you know, he the guy walks up and looks at the thing of Jason Voorhees standing there and goes, "Oh man, they made him." You know, and the waxwork guys comes up to him and talks to him. And he goes, "Oh, are you interested in this?" He's like, "Oh yeah, they made a movie of that." And he goes, "They made a movie of the Voorhees killings," and then pushes the guy through it, and then as he walks away, he goes, "They'll make a movie out of anything these days," but wow. they couldn't get the rights to that, so they put it in Phantom of the Opera. So they made a they made a movie about the Phantom, you know that sort of thing. But it it starts out really bad and actually gets interesting by the point that they get to the point where you know almost a pumpkin head sort of creature comes yeah. out and is fighting as the same point as everybody else and there's this whole secret society that's trying to stop them kind of weird not the movie i was looking for (laughs) yet again yeah so i I, there's still nothing i'm looking for something before 1994 in horror movies are you sure it's before 94 um it would have been roughly around that because arachnophobia came out in 94 so it might have been 95 when it was on vhs for me to be able to watch it at home arachnophobia came out in 1991 yeah okay so whatever so before 91 or 92 or something like that i can't remember the exact summer it was i even tried asking the um my neighbor who was hanging out with my sister who watched the movies with and she's like i don't remember your sister you used to live next door to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Cool. Thanks. 
No help. Good yeah, job. Yeah, thank you, Underwood. So what you need is like a list of every single horror movie. Yeah, and just movie. watch every fucking one well, of them. Are you sure it's even a horror movie, though? I'm, I'm, I think it is. I, it, it really, it, for me, are it you felt, just combining that with the fact that you saw arachnophobia and whatever I th- else? Yeah, I don't know. I really wish that Ryan's movies was still. I mean, you can't open. remember, you know, junior high. I don't, so. rem- I don't even remember that. That's existing. where um, more liquor is now. Oh yeah, there oh. used to be a rental store there yeah. by the Army Surplus. Yeah, See, all I remember is the Army Surplus because we always, we always went to movies, etc. So, yeah. <laughs> you piece of shit. Well, what it, it was what we it was where my family went. So true. Um, I also I didn't have a car a lot of that, so you know I couldn't make that decision. You know what? You you know what? You just say I want to go to Ryan's. I'm pretty sure you was, go back in time, sir. It was. <laughs> it was. I, do you want to go rent movies? And like it would be movies, etc. You know the one on Fourth Street initially. Yeah. Uh, or the one on 12th Street by G- the GFF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ryan, or Ryan's it was is renting movies at the GFF back when they did that. <laughs> yeah. V- yay, videotapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I then watched a movie called Grand Piano. Have any of you guys heard nope. of this? Nope. Have not. It is Elijah Wood and John Cusack. That's frightening. Is it, that a... Oh, oh, oh. Dramatic movie? It, well, it is, basically, it is basically Phone Booth. But with a classical grand piano at a classical concert. Okay. So um, basically, Elijah Wood's character is this master pianist who um, w- say that three three times. Yeah. Fast. Um, who? He's a master. What? <laughs> fuck you. Um. Who five years they, ago? They just call them virtuosos. Virtuosos, ooh. Um, who five years before had choked while playing this? Um, yes, I know. So this is the plot for Shine. Yeah. <laughs> did he have a breakdown? He did not. But he his then, his wife, who is now more famous than him, has rearranged has arranged this concert with his former master's piano. So it's Family Guy. Yeah, I stab you. Um, <laughs> And so You're not he, selling this very well. Uh, fuck off. Um, yeah, okay, is it a drama, comedy? A drama. Okay. I mean, have you seen Phone Booth? I mean, I've seen Phone Booth. Unfortunately, yes. I it's one of it. Joel Schumacher's less annoying movies. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's good. Um, it's He starts playing the piano and kind of notes on or notices on the sheet music there's, you know, text written on there like, you know, if you if you miss one note, I will shoot you. You know, because it's supposed to be the impossible piece. That would be kind of weird. And and they, what, they the, do realize, like, did the screenwriter actually like interview a pianist and realize they actually have to practice things? Yeah. Well, this guy, okay. is, it's supposed to, it is his. He is was tut- his tutelage was under the guy who created this. Do they do they know that if you? I'll stab you in the fucking throat. Pianists perform. They typically perform everything memorized. Yep, I'll stab you in the fucking throat. Because I'm pretty sure I would start watching this movie and be like, don't they know? Here's the IMDb plot synopsis, just so you shut the fuck up. <laughs> IMDb opsis. During his comeback performance, a pianist. Yeah, see, it's in there. So it's who, speed, but a piano. Who suffers from stage fright, finds a note. He plays under 300 beats a second. Play one note wrong and you die. Um, 
The the surprise in here was that Alex Winter is in this movie. Okay. I have so no idea who that is. Ted, oh wait, no, Bill S. Preston Esquire, my bad. Yeah, because yeah. Keanu Reeves was Ted Theodore Logan. Logan yeah. Oh, okay. So, so Bill is wow. in this movie as the henchman. Surprising comeback. Yes. <laughs> 20 years later. Yes, Let's see if I can... They're supposedly making a sequel to that as well. Yeah, there's actually a comic book coming out that um, I'm really That's super great. excited about. You did see that Chuck Palahniuk and Stuart Immerman are doing the Fight Club 2 comic on yeah yeah with david mack covers so hmm. yeah but so they're the ba- only releasing it as a comic book they're not the doing basic it idea is that his um master or the the guy he's playing on this guy's piano and he's playing a he is playing a concert but everybody's kind of going hey you choked five years ago this is your comeback performance you're going to be okay and he's like hey, look i didn't choke this is going to be fine this is just another performance for me and then finds out that this guy is a sniper um, who wants him to play so without missing a note. So if you choke once as a pianist, snipers come after you? Yes, in this movie. Um, at one point, you basically... Like, so it has stuff For every like, mistake, it's a life. So basically, he's playing, and it, it's stuff like him trying to... Does the sniper have perfect pitch? Yes, motherfucker. The... Um, <laughs> the the Does story... The write this I was Shut the fuck up. <laughs> The story of it is basically that the sniper is a worked with the master to create the ultimate vault. So he's a master pianist and a master sniper. He's not a pianist. Okay. He is a um, safe maker. And the only way to open up... The piano is basically a safe, that you have to be able to play this piece perfectly, which only the master was able to do, in order to open it up. Untold riches. So sort of he's going to give the pianist one shot at opening the safe that only he is able to open. If he fucks up, he's going to shoot the pianist. That's that's his threat. And if he but, shoots the pianist, the safe will never be open. This well, seems the same, counterintuitive here. Well, the way that it's written is that you don't find out. The lead guy doesn't know. Um, Elijah Wood's character doesn't know that he is that that's what's going on. He's just told if you, you know, I'm trying to make you the best you can ever be. If you fail, you're going to die. So play perfectly. And then when the um frequencies get mixed, he finds out, "Hey, this is a heist." And So what if the pianist fucked up? Well, that's part of the plot of the whole thing is that at one point before he goes into the piece, he is told, you know, Hit the guy, the conductor is basically kind of trying to give him pet top and say, "Look, nobody's going to know if you've missed a note. The audience does not know. Just keep going. Don't freeze up." And so he plays the entire. You know, once he finally kind of takes control of the situation, he plays the entire piece, gets to the final note, and then hits the wrong note. To which John Cusack's character starts freaking the fuck out, like, "You have to play it again. Play it again." The audience doesn't know it's you know the wrong note, and then he kind of turns the crowd to use him so that he does the sniper can't kill him or his wife because they're in the crowd. They you know they're in the public eye. If they do that, then the sniper will be discovered. You know that whole thing. So it does a really good job. There's some really interesting stuff where 
they're using multiple points of view, showing you different parts of the concert hall, you know, showing a different character who's trying to alert the authorities of what's going on while you see Elijah Wood playing in the background. You know, some really interesting stuff. So on why there. doesn't the sniper just steal the piano? Because he can't pl- open it. The mechanism is that you play the certain notes and inside so it's, it's grabbing the key indestructible to open it piano? Up. So is it only defined by notes or notes and rhythm in a certain pattern? That's a good question. Because technically you could just play all the notes. I believe it's notes and a certain pattern because okay. it shows him playing it at one point and hitting all the notes in you know the right key. And that's making certain gears turn at a certain pace, okay. which is then pushing plates into certain area. I'm to, just wondering how they fit this into a piano. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> yeah. The, the, so there's the, no room in there. Like, the there's the ultimate... What what I find interesting about it, and honestly, watching the first half of the movie was kind of like this is this is good. It's not great. Yeah, I think my suspension of disbelief would have been gone a, a right lot, a well, lot longer before the first half of the movie. Is over. Well, to be fair, the first thirty minutes of the movie has nothing about the sniper. The first thirty minutes of the movie is all about him. Arriving at the airport, him getting to the concert hall. It's, so it's all, all the stuff you don't need in the movie. No, it's all this. It's all back. It's all about him being nervous and trying to get to the concert hall. And oh, hey, this is you know having an interview where this is your big comeback performance. It's all backstory leading up to the main plot of it, which and could about, all be summed up in like a line. No, it's to build the story. It's not if you. You're not going to be able to, at, at five minutes in, it's to build the suspensions of disbelief to give you stakes for the main character of what he's playing rather than just having a sniper trained on him and going, hey, you have to play perfectly. No, hey, you're a failure in the eyes of everybody because you failed your, the, you know, your teacher. Your teacher is dead. He would be ashamed of you. This is your comeback performance. You have to play the best. You are one of the best people there can be. You know, and then realizing, oh, hey, this is actually a heist. It has nothing to do with me. This guy's just trying to get rich. And Elijah Wood's character come, going from being a meek person to eventually facing the sniper kind of one-on-one. So I have to know, does he shoot Elijah Wood? He does not. Damn it. Um, instead, they end up in... At, you have sensitity to, like, see... As you, know, as you would head. expect. There, there was no payoff in that. Elijah Wood was still happy while he was decapitated, so there, um, there's no joy in that. At, as you would expect from a, um, from a concert thriller, they end up fighting in the, you know, rafters above. And both of them take a plunge down to the main hall. Um, John Cusack's character ends up being dropped on top of the piano and dying. Does does is uh, does then it, he play the right note and uh, the fuck wall you. opens? Because <laughs> no, cause what, then I would then I would watch this. Like what, if no, inside actually, the piano actually, was a mechanism to open up a safe elsewhere, yeah. that would sound believable. What what know. actually what I thought was so I, I played honestly, Resident Evil. I know this puzzle. It's cool. <laughs> so I, I'm not trying to pitch you guys on this. I know, but it's just what what I find what I what ultimately turned me on this movie was there's this interesting sequence. It's actually the fight sequence between the two of them. And he gets his wife, you know, it's just kind of a musical accompanying thing, but to play, to sing um, Motherless Child while they're fighting. Um, and it's this kind of great noir 
sequence where this music's going on. You have this over-the-top, almost Bond theme sort of music playing in the background while the the underdog hero and the sniper are fighting in these rafters. And basically what's ends up, what ends up happening is that the rafters are loose. And so Elijah Wood is hanging for his life and the sniper comes and grabs him to kind of keep him up because, hey, I need you to play the fucking piano to be able to open this up. And Elijah Wood plants his feet on the side of the thing and pulls the guy until they both fall off, presumably to their deaths. And then afterwards, they kind of, you know, they the piano is completely, dist- you know, is ruined. It will never play again, and they're about to move it off. He's like, you know, kind of leaves his wife going, oh, I need to I need to see how this finishes, and goes up, and you just see him rapid fire play all play the last four bars. It's only the four bars of the last four bars of the piece that unlock it and plays them rapidly. And then nothing happens. And he plays the last few notes again, plays the last few notes again, plays the last few notes again. And it's all out of tune. It sounds horrible. And then as just as about as he's about to turn away, you hear a mechanism turn inside of the piano and he leans down and the movie ends. So you never see what's inside the piano. But just that, la- honestly, it's the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie that made me go, I actually really like this movie. It, it paid off in a decent way. Um, one of the actors in there I didn't recognize, but now I absolutely love that actor. Um, so. It sounds awful. I'll stab you in your fucking throat. Uh, another Please mo- do if I try to watch it. Yes. Uh, another <laughs> movie I watched please. was Filth. I just know that it's Charles Xavier, detective <laughs> James McAvoy. I know it's James McAvoy. I just um, I watched this the first time, and it's a S- Scottish drama, um, kind of police procedural, fucked up as all get out. Um, first time I watched it, I think I watched about thirty minutes without the subtitles on, and then I had to turn them on because I couldn't understand what the fuck was going on. Daryl and I watched it this week. I think we turned it on after five minutes. Yeah. It was like five, ten minutes, and we're like, uh, okay, subtitles. And then another five minutes, and it's like, yeah, I still don't know what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's all slang. and um, I get the gist, but what exactly are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, Have you ever watched uh, movies that are actually completely in Jamaican Patois? No. You have to watch them with subtitles, but the subtitles are a translation. Like you cannot, like you will not understand the, the if it's only in the pat, not the Jamaican English, but the full on like patois yeah. weird like Rastafarian influenced language where yeah. they repeat certain words and they do the phraseology is totally different. Like you just you can't you literally have to go okay translate this for me right. <laughs> Well, and there's a bit of that in this. Uh, the basic idea is that um, his wife um, is the ultimate tease, and he's trying to get a promotion so he can become the uh, lead investigator or something and like investigator that. Investigator, whatever. Yeah, so he, and Sergeant DCI or Captain DCI. Neither. It's one of the things. I don't know. But um, well, they're called detective chief inspectors over there. In, in most of England. Yeah, it's, it's United it's, Kingdom. Yeah, Scotland, so, so yeah. Well, um, Scotland Yard, so. Yeah. He, um, but he, um, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, Sorry, I've watched a lot of British crime. So, so he, um, 
but she witnesses um, this um, homicide. Stu- yeah, homicide by this gang, and but he won't reveal that she was the lead witness, and so it's them. You know, it's basically him trying to inner work break down all of his competition to get the position. Um, but meanwhile, he's fucking one of the other people's wives. Um, I think he's fucking, if not, well, literally, metaphorically fucking everybody in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and um, there's one guy who is he's part of the Masonic Lodge that he's at. That is Brother Blades. Brother Blades, who is super rich but nerdy as fuck. And he is currently, um, what's, I can't even think of the word, harassing his wife, you know, being a, a basically sexual predator on the phone. But she, it's not really clear whether or not she knows that it's him, but kind of does. She's just really into him. Yeah, she's really into James McAvoy. But he's supposed to be the investigator that's trying to catch the guy who's calling her and telling her, oh, hey, you really need to lead into it so we can catch this fucker. But he's the guy doing it. And she wants to fuck him while the husband is standing right there. (laughs) And James McAvoy's trying to avoid that, but also wanting to fuck her. So it's it's very dark and fucked, but has a great payoff. Proper fucked? Proper fucked. Yeah, it's funny because, like, his best friend in it, which is uh, his, uh, Blades, like, him fucking with him doesn't really serve a whole lot of purpose for him outside of just sheer entertainment right. for him. Yeah. And that's the only thing in the movie that was kind of weird. He's very, very mean to him. And as he says later, like, that that's I his just, only I just, friend. I can't, I, yeah, it's, I, it's my <laughs> only friend. Um, and they go at one point when he's got him arrested for prank calling his own harassing his own <laughs> wife he goes why why do you bully me and he and you know james mcavoy has completely lost it at this point he's seen people with pig heads and chicken heads and just has you know he wildly vacillates between crying and saying you know i think my wife and child have left me and i can't he doesn't even why. know it's, it's amazing yeah he doesn't know why his wife and child has left me he just knows he's alone now oh, he's, and, he's pretty sure they've left him yeah he's not he's not quite sure <laughs> How but, can you not be sure? But, right? every, but he tells everybody, no, it's great. We're cool. And then, you know, he'll have a flash and then suddenly just be like, you know, you know, get the fuck away from me. Go and f- go fuck yourself. You know, just completely attacking. It's you know. very psychotic, antisocial behavior. Yeah. And at whenever at that point, the guy goes, why do you bully me? He just I can't help myself decks the guy in the face and then the guy changes into some other animal and he's just like oh fuck and you know runs away so it's it's <laughs> really it, you have no idea starting it out that you're it's gonna be as fucked as it um, is it's from the there it's based off a novel who's written by the same guy who did train spotting so it's an irving welsh yeah i i uh i remember reading glue in high school and it's written in that super Specific, you know, Scottish accent to the area that it's, you know. And I remember trying to read it. Like, everything is spelled the way it's actually pronounced. Yeah. Instead of... And so you're, like, deciphering the text the whole time. 
you're reading it, and uh, I'm sure there's that would yeah, that and, explains, and that that would be yeah. the colloquialisms and all that stuff, and yeah. it's do you can do you can, <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's um really really good. The payoff at the end is amazing. Um, same rules apply. That's pretty yeah. much all I can say there. But I'm glad the movie was another 20 minutes longer. Yeah, it didn't end where the climax of it went. It, it's like, oh, here's the twist. It's like, well, I saw that from the beginning, but that's cool. Yeah, and it, it continued going, and they went to its ultimate conclusion. And you go, you know what? That I can see why McAvoy picked this movie. So it violates the rule of the last podcast that all all movies need to be ten minutes shorter. That is true. I do <laughs> not hate the uh, uh, most all the well, except for Waxwork. Waxwork was pretty shit. Um, <laughs> I do not hate these movies. So, and also, um, it sounds like the last movie, the last 10, 10, 15 minutes are what made it a good movie. Yeah, it, without it, it would not have been good. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I also watched Lord of Illusions, the director's cut. How was that? I have only ever actually seen the director's cut. So I've seen it like six or seven times, and I love it. I just remember people, like when the movie came in, I never, I didn't see it when it was... Because I think I was too young when it came out. It, it, came, just, it came out in 95. But I just was never really that interested in Scott Bakula as a, as a horror character. Well, um, what it is, actor. is it's, it's, it's horror noir. So he's a detective that gets... It's, it's actually I don't very think I ever knew, Constantine. I don't think I ever knew that Clyde Barker actually directed it. Or I yeah. probably would have watched it. Directed a lot of things you wouldn't think he did. But it, it's basically, he is Constantine. Like, he has all the symbols tattooed on his body for protection. He's, um, he is drawn to the darkness. Um, and it's basically about, like, in the 80s, a um, kind of Charles Manson sort of prophet who taps in, you know, uses magic and taps into the dark side, yep. who, who is then... Um, Killed by his um, followers. Well, by his um, pro- basically prodigal son, sort of thing. The guy he trained, who then becomes a David Copperfield sort of magician, and he's actually using the m- magic, you know, to levitate and do all these tricks. And then during a blade trick, is killed. And so the wife hires, and he meets this odd cast of characters, which is very Clive Barker. Um, I honestly have to say, Lore of Illusions is why I love the idea of magic meeting like elder gods and stuff like that. It very much deals with that sort of idea. And it also has the noir feel to it, which is another thing I absolutely love. I, going back and watching it and thinking of it in those terms, I really think that Lord of Illusions is what's made me the writer I am today. It's the thing that has the longest impact. Right, and I've watched it so many times. The version I have has commentary from Clive Barker for the director's cut, and it also has the theatrical cut Blu-ray. So I need to go back and watch that, because I don't think I have ever watched the um, theatrical cut. I I know I've seen it, and I think I've confused most of it with Nightbreed, having gone back and watched Nightbreed. Yeah. So... So, uh, <laughs> it's like and, and Nightbreed, I, I didn't like, and the only reason I really didn't like Nightbreed, it was, it was, you could tell it was based off a short story of his, but he didn't properly adapt it. So you had characters that were just like, I've had dreams of him. And you're like, 
okay, that'll be a cool connection for them to explore whenever they meet. Oh, wait, they never meet. But they're in the same... There's never a scene between these two characters, despite the fact that they're living in the same area. <laughs> They've shared sexy looks. They, they shared sexy looks, and that's about it. Wow. But, um, yeah, Lord of Illusions, absolutely love that movie. Um, I definitely need to watch it again, or watch the theatrical cut. I'll probably watch that before the next podcast. Um, motherfuck. Um, I watched a movie called, uh, well, it's a little known thing. Actually, to be honest, probably most people have not seen it, but I watched Hudson Hawk. I love that movie. About damn time. It's honestly Holy the first, first time I've seen it. Um, it's ball one ball. of those that I've seen around my store for years. And I've just been like, why the... F- I've heard that, bad things. That thi- should not be a cult movie. It should be like a movie that people just watch. You well, <laughs> Daryl got to see my metamorphosis through this whole entire movie. Um, because I started watching, I was like, this is a vanity project. This has to be a vanity project. And then you get introduced to the MTVIA. And you go, this is not a vanity project. This is batshit fucking insane. This is everything that was wrong with the early 90s. Like, you watch it under that prism. That is all the excess about 90s. I I decided while talking to Daryl that the only thing that saved the early 90s was stuff like Reservoir Dogs and Clerks. I don't think that saved the 90s. It just changed the medium. It changed it into what we got in the later half. Yeah, because well, it's, it's Hudson just, Hawk it's like, is just leakage from the 80s. Yeah. Well, but it's just like there was this... Um, it they me found a, lot a way. Of, um, they found a way to make money off the independent and punk rock people. That's all they did was they found out. They well, found out um, via Kurt Cobain that if they, they, they pay attention to all this other shit that no one, if they hadn't cared about... They could make a shit ton of money off of it. Well, my, my thing is is that um, with Hudson Hawk, it reminds me a lot of the new Super Mario Bros. Um, same sort of feel, same sort of excess. But here's the only way I was able to actually make sense of Hudson Hawk. And I repeated it multiple but, times to Daryl while watching it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hudson Hawk feels like Terry Gilliam, a tame Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam on lithium directed Fifth Element about a European cat burglar. It, it kind of makes sense. But. Kind of. Well, and the reason why is because Fifth Element had that same, le- for me, at least for Bruce Willis's performance and how it plays out, it's very similar. Because at the very beginning of um, Hudson Hawk, it's all about how serious and pretty Bruce Willis is. Well, he just come like that was literally the first movie he did, right? Right, out, out of what whatever that TV show with Sharon Stone that he was in. Moonlighting. Wasn't Moonlighting. it? Well, it was after Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard was eighties. Hudson. Oh Hawk. yeah, yeah. Hudson yeah. Hawk was ninety one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, so this, he's he's an action star. And and if Die Hard had failed, and then he made Hudson Hawk, I think he would it would have been, been a great comedian. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing is that I went into it going. Okay, this is pure vanity. This is this is him coming out of Die Hard going, what the fuck can I make? I can make this. And that's how I felt during the first part of it. And then whenever you get introduced to Kit Kat, I went, what the fuck is Which this Danny movie? Danny Aiello is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, as it is. is yeah. Um, and for me, just watching it, what basically kind of came, the reason why I mentioned Fifth Element is because Bruce Willis plays the straight man in that movie. 
and it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. But but he doesn't really completely play the straight man in Hudson Hawk because oh, I mean, he I, also I know, does I the singing and the he dancing. He does the singing, but the... before that, before that, whenever you first start the movie, it is it when is, you first start the movie, you got to sit through five minutes of Leonardo da Vinci. You do, yeah. you do, and that's just fucking crazy. <laughs> but whenever you get to yeah. Hudson Hawk, like uh, okay, after he deals, Alan with, Cumming is after great he deals too. with the Mario Brothers. And he's up in the room, and he's standing there with his arms on stuff. Like, what have you got me into? And it, it's very much like Bruce Willis is pretty, and he's a star now, and he can do this. Yeah, he's posing. Right, and it's all him posing, and I'm, and that's I kind of get the, the same feeling of Fifth Element. It's supposed, it, and then it, and then Fifth Element, you're introduced. Twist, you know, you know, it's there's some goofiness at the beginning, like Hudson Hawk, like with him coming across the guy in who has like the. Um, the weird hat and has the gun that isn't loaded and you know all that stuff there's some weirdness but it's not until you meet ruby rod that things go absolutely fucking crazy on well, fifth element guy who well but like the first kill by uh the hitman and hudson hawk when you you don't you don't really see the death but it's just yeah like, when you win or you know well the the first kill is when the butler kills yeah alfred shit. or yeah yeah, yeah alfred yeah. but Refers to him as Jeeves, but you know it's been it's been a long time. Yeah, to excuse my. Well, he, he slits the one guy's throat, and yeah. you know he he's bloody. He falls over. He dies. They make a little dry humor. British humor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, comment, and it's funny. I mean, he teleports into that scene. He falls from the rooftop of stealing something and teleports to that scene right. with the whole reaction of having. Jumped into a new scene and him being confused that he just fell into this. Right. And Man, I loved okay, that. Yeah. So that was the stuff I loved. Let, it let was me, like, let yes. me, I, I guess I do have to say this because I have not said this. I definitely liked Hudson Hawk. I enjoyed it throughout, but through the entire movie, Daryl can attest to this. It was just me going, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. I know, and I'm, I haven't I haven't got to show it to Katie yet, but I totally plan on showing it. To Pretty her sure tomorrow. that's why it bombed is because like the people saw it went, what the fuck is this movie? It's an action comedy satire. And, and, and before and, and, and anybody and had really done those, but but, it, yeah. but it's great, you know, for the what can I say? I'm the villain. <laughs> and the the and Daryl had quoted this line to me so many times, and I was just like, okay, whatever. Do you want me to rape him? Read your book. <laughs> to yourself. Like, for me, that is the best line of that movie. Now, before oh. that, the best moment is Kit Kat mimicking Bruce Willis as Bruce Willis is doing this, and then Bruce Willis saying, elbowing, Bruce Willis elbowing him, and then he looks back and Kit Kat just kind of goes, like yeah, I deserve that. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I, 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 think, I think the first time I knew, like, I started watching it, and like the first time I knew I loved the movie was like when the first song broke out. I was like, they're they're trying to be quiet, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like they're singing a tune without. They're not like wearing headphones. Yeah, well, that, that that's the whole know? gimmick. They're trying to time each other. They're trying to time the robbery perfectly, so they pick yeah. a song that equals out to that time, and they start it off together, and they both sing it to themselves, and that's how they know yeah. where they're going to be at what. Which is which is a great gimmick, but it's I, also it's like well, you're watching the movie. Going, well, um, <laughs> okay, so so personally, my only problem with that is that whenever they do the last song, yeah, I I felt like there should be some more. 
establishing at that point. Now, I liked it. Establishing of what? Well, it's kind of like um, the best example I'm of this. Sure they established the shit out of that. Well, they did, but um, I guess what I'm more trying to say is my best example is Inception. What the um, fuck are you talking about? With um, you spend all this time with them establishing the rules and saying kick and all this stuff, but there's one specific moment where Ariadne finally cut stops being question. Where it's whenever they're standing over, they're talking about going into limbo to get back um, Killian Murphy's character. Okay, what are you talking about, Hudson Hawk? I, I'm confused here. I'm talking about the music, the the song with Hudson Hawk. I'm relating it to Inception because there's a moment in Inception where Ariadne. I think you just want to talk about Inception. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> where yo? Well, now shut up, guys. The, where with get to your point. Ariadne finally stops and she she talks. There is no questioning in her voice. It is all okay. So what we need to do is we need to do this. We um, and that way we miss the first kick. We but we can do this, 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 and that way we can ride all the kicks up to the top layer. Okay. And everything she says is reliant on us understanding everything that has happened before. Okay. It's all established through all that stuff. Yeah. For me, whenever they do the final song in Hudson Hawk, yeah. it felt like. This is a nice return gimmick, but it didn't feel like this should be the ultimate payoff for that scene. It, it, it's not the ultimate payoff for it, but, I mean, they're just supposed to reunite to rescue uh, what's-her-face. Well, and there's consequences to them doing it this yeah. time. Right. You know, so, like, I think that was the point, was, like, the first time, there's no consequences. They get they get away. Yeah, they do the it's thing. cheeky and fun. But they then this, this time, they're like... Now they're having fun, they're killing people, they're blowing stuff up, and there's consequences. You know, it's like, not only are we trying to do this at this exact timing and everything, but it's like... That's how they work. Yeah. Right. And that's what they established. I don't think Inception was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I have right now, too. I w- by the way, I watched, it, I watched Inception again. I came up with three pages worth of stuff that needs to be cut. The entire That's all I need to say. So how many times have you seen Inception at this point? Well, in the past... He is now living Inception. <laughs> I, am, I have been Incepted. Um, no, I saw it in theaters. And then I, I saw it three times in theaters. Um, I watched it... <laughs> I think I've watched it maybe two times. I tried to watch it once stoned, and I went... The music started playing with the waves rushing. I was like, this is too intense for me. I cannot watch this. Um, I've, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I was just way too stoned. I would like to formally establish a group to get Justin Heard to stop watching Inception. <laughs> so I watched it two weeks ago. Call the action. And then I watched it this week. So I, And I came up with three pages of stuff that need to be edited. And I've started wor- working on the fan edit, which I split apart the six-channel audio which so means, I can actually do which right. means you have to watch the movie. A bunch more fucking times. He's gonna watch the movie more times than you can imagine. Yeah, he's editing. gonna like know every line of the I, I, movie. I'm pretty sure I already know it, so it's, well. it's pretty good. Um, so I watched uh, in kind of preparation for our Nerdatois. I watched Road to El Dorado. Yeah, I don't know. No idea. It is a animated movie, gorgeous animation. Um, it completely bombed. I don't think it's a Disney movie, but it's came out in 2000. Here's the thing that blew my mind is it's kind of it's a comedy, 
but it's done. The two lead actors are Kevin Klein, makes sense, and Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I, I vaguely recall this movie. Yeah, it was terrible from what I remember. I went. I watched I it. Like I actually it. really enjoyed it. Now, one of the things as I read a review and what they likened it to, what what the reviewer likened it to, was um, Road to Rio with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. I never saw that. Well, it's a callback to like the 1940s type of duo comedies. That's that's not the 1940s. Fuck off. I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it, it's those type of comedies. Yeah. I know so, what you mean. I just, I was like. You, you you wanted to be super precise. Well, it's like, you know, late 50s, early 60s. Fight. Kind of timeline. But, um, I... Looking at it with that 1947 motherfucker. Really? Yep. Bob Hope? Yeah, because that had been around World War II. He's looking at the screen now with a very perplexed look on his face. Um, so I really don't remember <laughs> Bob Hope's timeline of him being in films that early. I just remember I was going to say, for me, more famous as a comedian yeah. at that point. So. Um, but it's that type of comedy, uh, very risque. There's a lot of... It, Basically, it's it really does feel like an adult PG movie that they use animation for. If you go into it thinking, "Oh, I'm going to have something you know like a Disney movie or anything like that," it really doesn't work. But if you think of it in that purview of that type of comedy, it really works together. They play off each other really well. It's basically two kind of two thieves from Spain accidentally get stuck on a ship and end up with the map to El Dorado and become gods. Rather than being the man who would be king, it's a comedy. Um, so, you know, there's no point where, oh, hey, the gods bleed. Hey, we're going to kill these motherfuckers. It's, you know, the only, the really bad part is that they're shaman at one point kind of resurrects an idol that tries to kill them and lava flow and all this good stuff. But it is very much them playing off of each other, you know, and really, really well done. Beautiful animation. It is that weird kind of middle ground between 3d animation and 2d where you can tell that it's done with 3d models. Well, the animation, the characters and the environments don't look like they're 3d models, but the camera movement gives it away like it's way too clean and the way the camera moves in it give gives away the fact that it's 3d and then you look at like 3d objects that are moving like barrels you go okay that definitely is 3d but it's so it just has that weird fluid motion that you don't see in normal animation even rotoscoped animation um last one i want to talk about um is actually the movie lock have either of you guys seen this nope nope it's Tom Hardy um, in a car for an hour and a half making phone calls. So if I'm going to break it down that much, it doesn't sound interesting. Um, kind of like Buried with Ryan Reynolds a couple of years ago. Um, that one was entirely shot inside of a box while he made phone calls while he was running out of, you know, in a buried alive trying to escape. Really good movie, really well done, but it's gimmicky. 
what luck is, is it's a guy getting out of a construction site. He turns right instead of left and is making a two-hour trip to London. And it's all about him making phone calls to his family and to his employers and basically saying, I have something I have to do. I need you, you know, I'm not coming home tonight. And I'm not going to be there to supervise this huge, you know, this huge uh, construction project tomorrow. So you need not to answer the owner of the company. I will get you through tonight. And him taking the different calls and you basically, you know, it coming out while they're that basically he had an affair, had a one night stand with a older woman who sounds like she's in her forties that she was, is a miserable woman who had given up on life and he got her pregnant and she's had, she is prematurely delivering this baby tonight and he doesn't want to end up like he doesn't want to be like his father and wants to be there for the baby's birth and actually give that baby his name. And it's him telling his employers and getting fired and saying, I'm going to take care of the construction job. And they go, you don't get it. You're fired. No, I get it but I'm not going to leave you guys shorthanded. This is my project. I will take care of it. And him calling his wife and his wife going, well, why aren't you coming home? Well, look, I need you to leave the kids. I want to have a talk with you. And then telling her and her losing her shit, hanging up on him. And as he keeps calling her back going, I want to have a practical solution to this. I want to know that at the end, that tomorrow morning I can come home. So does he text at all while driving? Not at all. That's good. (laughs) But one of the things that's interesting about it is that he recorded this over six days. He literally made the drive, two-hour drive every single time, um, was calling people. They were all sitting in the same hotel room. um, And when the car ran out and was starting to run out of gas, it would have an audio indicator that would say, hey, you're running low on gas, which would interrupt his takes which he would then kind of look annoyed at it. So what they did is they subbed in, you have a call waiting. (laughs) So he was trying to deal with something, had somebody else calling him, you know. So, and he did this two times a night for six nights in a row. You know, had a cold at the time. And you can actually just watch his character degenerate as time goes on, as he's beaten down, as he, you know, by the end of the drive, he has lost his job, he's lost his family, he's lost his house. The thing he only has left is this woman that he does not know and doesn't, you know, at one point she goes, do you love me? And he goes, I'm sure that's the pain talking. How could I love you? And she hangs up on him. And then you realize that, hey, this was a one-night stand. They literally do not know each other. They have no idea of what either person is like, but she keeps saying, you know, she's delirious from the pain. She doesn't want to deliver the baby, but Hey, the umbilical cord is wrapped around the baby's neck. So they have to have surgery to be able to extract the baby, you know, and him having to say, you know, them going, are you the partner? I'm the father. (laughs) So it's a very interesting look. It's one of those movies that you go into and you go, there's no way this could work. But it does, and it's riveting, and I absolutely loved it. It's um, the thing that so is, you actually liked a movie where it's it's all talking. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, the, and the thing, <laughs> the thing that I find so amazing about it is the character's conviction. 
he know, and he even says this, that he is going to the worst place for him. He could have ignored that child. He could have just abandoned it. He's the thing about it. Even is that he is not going there to raise the child. He's just going there to be there for the birth, right? And say, "I am the father." My dad didn't name me. I'm going to name you, and then I'm going to leave. Yeah, you know, I have productive. Yeah, to but, step forward, <laughs> but but <laughs> but it is him going. This is the worst possible decision for me, but it is my responsibility. I may, you know, this baby's birth is my fault. You know, so I am going to be it's in a negative thing. What? I, <laughs> yes, it is a negative thing, <laughs> and I am going to take responsibility for it, and I am going to show up, and I am going to be there for the baby's birth, and I am going to, you know, take responsibility for this. And he wants to go home. He it was a one time thing. He screwed up once, and his wife ultimately decides no can't come home yeah you can't come home you have lost your two boys you know you don't have a job you've been fired because you left you know but he has to do it and for me that is such an amazing amount of conviction to go through that to be able to tell your employers i'm not going to tell you what i did what's going on but i can't be there tonight but I will take care of it to tell your family. I will talk to you. I will, you know, tell your kids, I will tell you what's going on, but I want to tell you in person, but I have to tell your mother what's going on. She's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. I will see you again. So it's really good. Really amazing. Tom Hardy is amazing as always. So he was just practicing driving for Fury Road. Yeah. See, there you go. Cool. I'm good with that. <laughs> you so, had to get a lot of practice in. Um, Though I will say, I I got when I heard that they were making Fury Road, I was like, "Great!" No, like <laughs> three years ago, I think was the first time I heard. I it. think Tom Hardy was like four years ago when they first. Well, got when, into him. when I first yeah. heard it was like three years ago, and I had no idea. Until the first trailer that it was the actual original director and then mm-hmm. it wasn't just a reboot. And I was like, okay. <laughs> then I, I, I was like, I, I saw the first trailer. I'm like, man, this looks I, really seen, cool. I'm not going to say this as a negative. It's not a negative. But watching the first trailer, the only thing that really struck me about it is that it reminds me a lot of Dread. What about it? I, just the feel of it. The it For some reason, it just gives me the same feeling that dread gave me watching that and it's a good thing but i'm not necessarily excited about the movie like nothing about that trailer actually got me to go this is going to be amazing it's just like okay this looks like kind of the same idea that went into dread like this is going to be a hardcore movie we're going to treat this with you know it's the same director you know all that stuff so of course it's going to be treated with respect but even taking that out of there just watching the trailer would be so you're Afraid of the serious vibe of it? No, like, I'm not. I'm not afraid of it. It just nothing of that trailer captured my imagination. So it's there's nothing about it that makes me go giant uh, sandstorm, tornado, lightning, shit nope. blowing up. You're just like, oh, that doesn't seem interesting. No. Okay. I think the thing for me is like, I remember watching Mad Max. Yep. And Road Warrior as a kid with my dad. Yeah. And like, 
I know I've watched Beyond the Thunderdome. <laughs> I know I've seen it, but I like don't remember really any of it. And then most of what I remember is only because of Balthazar and all her, and her whole shtick that she does of doing the two minutes one man leave, and then she goes into a song all about break a deal, spin yeah. the wheel. Yeah, West I have funny. no idea what you guys are talking about, yeah. but I'm glad you're talking about it. Well, Balthazar is like a lo- she's a local performance artist. But she had this whole one lady show she did where she would dress in this costume. Well, it was three people. There were two people who would also dress in costumes and stuff and dance around and hold props and hold signs and do stuff. But she had this whole video show where they'd film segments. And like so like if it's like a breakup song, there's like a whole uh, ex-boyfriend, like two or three minute short film leading into them singing the cheesy 80s song style that she's written but it, a lot of it is like odes to like pop culture so like she had like a song about how Mostly much she loved new kids 80s. on the block and songs about uh i, I was actually just ta- i was and, actually just talking about beyond the thunderdome i haven't oh. I, I may have seen it um actually i probably saw it before i saw the other mad max beyond movies Thunderdome is awesome it's terrible and it's glorious well, Tina Turner, I mean. Yeah. Me Master, he Blaster. <laughs> yeah. Who still... runs Barter Town? Yeah, Master Blaster runs Barter Town. Do you want me to rape him? <laughs> but, uh... Read your book. When I, when I watched the... <laughs> I will not eat When I watched the, the Mad Max trailer, it was like, all of a sudden, I'm a, a little kid. Yeah. And Mel Gibson is eating dog food. On the screen. <laughs> you know, in a, in yeah. an, and he has an Australian accent. And this movie is fucked up the whole way through. You know. Like, that was one of the things I remember as a kid, like, viscerally having a reaction to, like, yeah. like a person eat. He's obviously not eating dog food, really. Because, you know, it's he's, Australian. he's probably just eating, like, canned meat. Or maybe he is eating dog food. I, I, I wouldn't well, I don't take Mel Gibson as a method actor. But, uh... You don't know what he's been through. Uh, no, I don't. I know he's been through Mad Max. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. He has all that trauma to live with. But uh, it was like, I was watching this and I'm like, holy fuck. They actually, like, they didn't change it. They didn't try and make it sleeker. Yeah. Newer. They just updated the special effects a little bit. They, but everything they have more just, to work with. They have more to work off of. Okay, we're still going to do the practical effects. We're going to do the car stunts. We're going to do them for real. Yeah. We're going to have people flying from car to car on giant poles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. while we're driving in high speeds through the desert. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. As I said, there's just nothing so far that's just made me go, you just don't know what joy is. Apparently not. Instead, I watch Grand Piano and enjoy it. You don't, you don't like any amount of car chases, explosions, anything like that. That's fine. It's cool. We get it. It's okay. But I, I do like, like people being thrown off the you know fifty foot balcony and their heads exploding as they hit the pavement. So you haven't. Yeah. So you haven't read any books or anything. Lately? Um. Well, I um played uh, about twenty hours more of Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, I'm really enjoying that. I actually kicked out a character from my party because she's horrible and she's the worst. Um, I haven't beat it yet, so I'm not don't really have much to talk about. Um, Daryl and I played the Witcher board game, which was interesting. We played it wrong, but I absolutely <laughs> but I absolutely love the Witcher um, book series and games and all that stuff. Um, 
which just to give the kind of overview of that, Witcher is basically this universe. Um, they have monster hunters, which are kind of like the samurai, where um, they've basically worked themselves out of the job. And how they work is that they basically kind of take the first born of nobles and stuff like that and feed them a bunch of poisons so that they become resistant to all these different poisons. And that leaves them looking like albinos and having kind of lizard-looking eyes and very much feared. But whenever they go into a battle with a creature, they know all the lore and know all the stuff. So they actually take different types of poisons so that they'll have skin that's resistant to the claws or so they don't bleed or all that stuff. So it's a very interesting sort of um, fiction. And then the thing they add on top of that is that it's full of racist elves and trolls and dwarfs and stuff like that where like the dwarves are on the outside of this city gathering munitions and you have to decide whether or not you're going to help them out in sieging this elven town. So it's got some really cool stuff in there. Um, I am reading a book right now. I have not finished it. I'm getting kind of close. I'm in the last third of it. It's uh, actually a Clive Barker book called Weave World. Is that one new? No, it's it's 80s. It it was actually, I think, his follow-up to um, The Hellbound Heart. Oh, okay. Where he, you know, and Hellraiser, where he established himself as this big horror guy, and then he wrote a fantasy novel, which does have a lot of the stuff in common with Nightbreed with yeah. the horrific elements. And I was kind of surprised when I went to the library the other day and I saw, like, six books that were all Clay Barker, and they were just in the regular fiction section. Right, yeah, like Cold like, Heart Canyon and stuff like that. I was like, when did he start writing regular, just regular <laughs> fiction? Yeah. Have you started reading the Books of Blood yet? I haven't. I, need, oh, I, um, I, I really want to read, um, I need to read book six. Or with The Last Illusion in there, mm-hmm. since we talked about Lord of Illusions earlier. Um, the basic idea of it is that um, there's this carpet carpet called the Fugue that is the Weave World, basically. There's an entire world with all these different um, species that are trapped inside of this carpet. And there's Immacul- Immaculata, who is... Um, the incantatrix who she basically she's she's the perf- I, love, I love the way he names things yeah he he's the she's the perfect virgin um but she has three hag sisters that are like one's the magdalene who any guy she fucks she basically turns into a um creature um and how ha- you know the hag there's all these obvious obvious archetypes but it's about an American girl who goes to Scotland um, to visit her dying relative while well, she has access to these powers of the minstrelum. <laughs> As you said, love the way he names things. Yeah. But it's um, Immaculata and Shadwell, who is a salesman, um, who are trying to get a hold of the Weave World. And... They like Shadwell's big thing is he has this coat that when he opens it up, um, ah, do you see something you like? And it's whatever your greatest desire is will appear in there, and he makes deals based off that. So you'll grab it, and then after a few days, it will wither and disappear. And it's about them trying to get to the Weave World, um, when all the people who protect it are possibly 
now old and decrepit because it's been 80, 100 years since it was supposed to come out or oh. since it was they were last let out of the carpet. Um, I'm almost done with it. It goes some interesting places. It, I have a, as a writer, I have a very specific thought process when it comes to my fiction that I don't like spending a lot of time in my character's head. There's certain, you know, um, things that I don't do with my fiction. I don't try to put commentary whenever I'm writing, you know, a car wreck or something like that. Um, Clyde Barker throws all that out of the window and it makes a kind of a gripping read. It's there's stuff that I would definitely not do, but it's kind of making me question my decisions when it comes to my writing, just because how things are written, but it's also written in omniscient point of view. So he's jumping between characters heads. Whereas right now I write third person limited omniscient. So for the scene, I stay in that character's head. When I switch a scene, I can jump into a different character's head, but it's always from their point of view. You don't hear anybody else's thoughts. It's what they see, but it's in a third-person perspective. So he definitely doesn't do that. It's also one of those where I kind of notice the the obvious thing where, hey, these two characters come back together for like a chapter, and then they go, well, I got to go this way. Or <laughs> I got to go, or they break apart, or, you know. So... It's contrived to be as long as it is. There's definitely some contrivances in there, but it's definitely got some interesting well, well, there's, ideas. There's always contrivances to fiction. One thing I do like, though, is that the Cenobites are mentioned in there as the surgeons. All right. And it never says it's the Cenobites, but it does mention this one guy You know, ended up calling the surgeons, and he has basically been turned into a living sheet of flesh. Beautiful. Yeah, so, and one of the characters is, like, freaking the fuck out about looking at this guy. And it's the only time the surgeons are mentioned, which is part of the reason why I listen to Weave World. Which, by the way, I am super excited for the Scarlet Gospels. Mm -hmm. Since I've talked about Lord of Illusions today and Clive Barker's Weave World and the Cenobites, um, Scarlet Gospels is coming out pretty quickly. It is 248,000 words. Great Gatsby was 50,000. It is Harry Damore from uh, Lord of Illusions versus Pinhead. Awesome. And it actually is giving um, Pinhead a real history, not the one that's in the movies. Yeah. Um, As Harry goes into hell. Um, And it releases May 19th. But as I said... 248,000 words. I'm so excited. I feel giddy like a little girl. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's that's all I've been consuming. Oh. So we're going to take a break, um, and we'll be right back with um, Nerd with Three Favorite Children. And we're back. Uh, we are now in for Nerd Now, this one was Dave's pick. 
for three top children's movies. Now, Dave decided not to show up because he's tired. From his vacations. <laughs> we're, we're, we're really hoping That's that he recovers. Next, you know, next podcast, he'll be able to be up here. Maybe we can convince Daryl to show up again and actually speak some words. Probably not. Okay, cool. So, um, I'm going to start out <laughs> with um, my first... So, uh, how Nerdatois works is that uh, we each have a top three list. We will start with... Um, each one of us will go through our number three, then number two, then number one, then user submissions, and then runner-ups. So, oh, man. There's an order to this. Yeah, there is. It's crazy. We actually have some thought process in here. What? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure this is going to end up being like very interesting. So my number three children's movie is Kung Fu Panda. Surprising. Why is that surprising? Because it's awful. Because it's a Jack Black Because you're fucking wrong? (laughs) No, I don't believe I am. (laughs) It's like as a matter of fact. I am not. See, you can't. You can't see him twisting his beard nope. right now. So uh, that's that. That's what made it. That's what sold the sold the line even more. And that's you're welcome. <laughs> um. So for me, the thing I like so much about Kung Fu Panda, one of the things is it's a DreamWorks movie. Now, one of the things I spoil alert: I have no Pixar films on my list. I'm a huge Pixar fan. Almost everything they release is quality. But that's about all I can say for them. They're they're not ones that I necessarily want to watch 40 times in a row. I don't know what it is about their movies. Um, but it's just not something that kind of lends itself to repeat viewings for me. Um, Kung Fu Panda, it's got... Awesome art, you know. It yes, it is a three D or you know a three dimensional, whatever, um, animated flick with a panda, with in a his. It starts out with this amazing two D animation during his dream sequence, that is all you know. It's what a fanboy would, who is not a good writer, would talk about. You know, he didn't speak because his mouth was filled with food. He swallowed and said, and then let's fight. And then they fight. And it's, you know, this, you know, just awesome 2d animation. And the people were blinded by his awesomeness. Ah, my eyes. And by how, how attractive he was. Oh, he is so attractive, you know, and stuff like that. And him fighting with the furious five and then them going, you're pretty cool. Let's hang out. Yes, after we fight. And then he wakes up, and he's in the top of a noodle shop, and he's playing with the toys of the Furious Five. And his father is yelling at him to come downstairs because he's late for his job at the noodle shop. And Jack, or as um, the panda starts trying to throw this ninja star into the wall, and it just won't stick into the wall, and it keeps falling down. He just keeps grabbing it and throwing it, and then runs downstairs. And his father is a goose. They kind of toy with the idea like his father's ever going to reveal that he's adopted and that he's not really. But for the first movie, it doesn't matter. 
This is this is not a movie about adoption. It's not a movie about you know. It is a movie about finding your place, but it's basically about the ultimate fanboy being able to realize his dream and become a part of the thing he wants most, even being a flabby panda. Now that makes it sound like there's this big moral lesson, and there's a little bit of that in there, but it's great. Got great action scenes. Great color dynamic. It plays a lot with your expectation, having seen um, kung fu movies. And at the end of the day, like there's supposed to be this great big dragon warrior, you know, scroll, and he he's chosen as the dragon warrior. He has to train. He's they try to get him to quit. The only way he's able to learn kung fu is by them using food as an incentive. And it has some of the greatest action sequences once. He is learning to train in his fight, trying to get the last um, dumpling um, because it's the first time he's actually been able to eat a real meal over whatever nondescript amount of time it is that he's been learning to train. And then he he finally manages to beat his master and then just tosses away, says, I'm not hungry. You know, that's not a part of me anymore. And when he gets into the fight... The entire fight is about, you know, him getting him coming against somebody who's stronger, faster, and better at this than he is. But because he you know, basically because he has all this slab and everything, he gets hit and he just bounces back from it. Whenever the bad guy at the end of this huge battle between them tries to stop him, he uses you know, tries to basically, you know, shut off his chakras so that he paralyzes him. And Poe just laughs. And then he get the main guy, Tai Long, gets pissed off, hits him as hard as he can, and Poe just bounces back and then punches him back and knocks the guy out and just completely reverses his momentum against him and then takes him out. And as I said, the thing I like about it so much is it subverts your expectations. It plays with everything. Even at the very end, you're pretty sure his master is going to die like he's laying there dying and poe runs back and he's the only person he holds up his oh, master are you okay oh you know it's getting dark whatever and poe starts to cry and i think i saw it in the theaters and one of the kids goes is he going to die daddy and then post you know and then the master goes oh stop crying i'm just taking a break <laughs> and the last moment of the movie is them laying down side by side taking a break and they kind of sit there and you just see Poe drum his fingers on his stomach and goes you want something to eat? Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. Second movie really works with it but then they go into the whole adoption issue and then they just get goofy with it whereas the first one is more about having fun and you know. I like Beverly Hills Ninja better. That's valid. <laughs> Still not a children's movie, though. Oh, debate. So, Nathan, what is yours? Uh, my number three is actually a live-action movie. And it's The Sandlot. Mm, yay. And uh, I haven't re-watched it in a really long time, but uh, it's one of those movies that I can remember. I saw it in the theater. I remember renting it as a kid. I can... I know I've seen it, you know, probably 20 times in my life, even though I haven't seen it in 
more than a decade, you know. But it's one of those it's one of those ones with it has a nice message. It it plays off a lot of expectations of what you think the characters are gonna do. Uh and, you know, it also just has a lot of it captures a lot of childhood. And you a know. lot of dog ball shots. I don't think I even remember noticing that as a kid. So. It's a dog. It yeah. Happens. Like, I, don't I think know why just, you're obsessed with dog balls. Yeah. yeah. Look, they, yeah. when they're in the middle of the camera, you know. <laughs> but, uh. Overhead shot. But it's one of those things where it's the characters, uh, they very much use the Wonder Years concept of the, you know, older narrator narrating his, you know, young life. Yeah. But, uh,. I mean, other than that, I mean, it plays really well, uh, and a lot of the, and a lot of the child actors were pretty good. Yeah, and there was a lot of good payoffs, even the screw ups, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and I love the scene where they go to the fair and they all end up eating too much candy and puking or, and yeah, like yeah, they have the chaw and they all throw it, up. On yeah, them. yeah. I was gonna say that's really the only other than the Bambino. You know, yeah. sort of thing. Forever. You play ball like a girl. That's the worst insult because it's 1950s, <laughs> you know, America. But I, I I, just always... That movie's just kind of stayed with me, and I, I can remember it really well. You know, I'm sure... It's a good film. I don't it, have a childhood, so I don't. I, I remember it decently. It's but. happy, and it covers, like, all your childhood relationships, and it's like, oh, what happened to these people? Well, they moved on, and... Yeah. Just and the yeah, and then, but it's and I will say out of my list, it's the only movie that is definitely from my childhood. Yeah, because you know some of most of the movies that I remember that were children's films, you know, beat the twenty-five year rule that you know Dave put into effect. I don't know that rule. There, there was be, a twenty-five year rule. It was supposed to be here? in the last twenty-five years. Oh, that's a lame rule because then that cuts out all kinds of children's movies. Oh, oh, oh I know, but he was he was just kind of going with. What we thought the, I I I, I listened to the podcast. I know he said that. I'm glad you listened. I just ignored that part. <laughs> yeah, you will can feel free to ignore that part. But when I was creating will my do. list, I did not. I do have a, I do have one that I put on here because I think it is a great children's movie. Well, that's that's fine, Daryl. What is your? Uh, I was gonna, uh, Home Alone. Oh, okay, the first one. I do love the second one also. So, so the prequel to The Collector? Yes. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I love Home Alone. It, it's one of those fun movies to watch as a kid because it's that whole, holy shit, I have the entire house to myself. No one can tell me what to do. Yeah. These are all the shenanigans I can get into. It's a power fantasy for a child. It definitely is. And it it's delightful. And it's... Okay, he's got the two robbers coming in, and of course he can stop them because he's a sociopath. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you build the most elaborate traps. Yeah. Uh, well, basically every single trap that he made would have killed a non-children's movie person. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, not everyone. Well, not, not all of them. I mean, he's got the broken ornaments. Yeah, that's going to hurt a lot. Sure, it could sever an artery in your foot, and you might die well, or like, from infection or, you know, did. burns his hand. Okay, yeah. yeah, he's scarred forever, but... Well, he's going to maim a he lot. He has the scar in the second movie. He might have burned all of what's left of Joe Pesci's hair off of his <laughs> head. 
and well, or melted. I was gonna uh, say there's the bowling ball dropping on the skull. You know, there's yeah. there's there's some. Oh yeah, no, no, there's stuff in there that could kill him. But I mean, not everything is lethal. Not everything, yeah. but it I will mean, maim. I mean, so, he does shoot at them. I mean, with a BB gun, but whatever. Also, that I mean, that's a John Hughes movie, which is why it's funny in Dogma that they don't bring that up really. When they said they rented all the John Hughes flicks. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Nobody. <laughs> but yeah, Home Alone would be my third choice. I, I, I loved it as a child. I'd, I'd watch it if it came on right now. Um, I actually put that. I made a uh, Christmas, not Christmas end cap for the holidays. And Home Alone was on there because it's not a fucking Christmas movie. It just happens. It's die hard. You know, it does. It takes place hmm. during Christmas. It's not a Christmas. No, oh, and then at the end of the movie, it turns out his family does actually care about him. So that's the happy ending. <laughs> and then they walk away five <laughs> seconds later to abandon yep. him yet again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're glad. Okay, so my number two is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I have not seen this one. Oh, it is so fucking good. It's written by the same guys who did the Lego movie and also did um, 21 Jump Street. Mm. So it's it's another one of those um, about subverting expectations where... You know, the lead character, and I'm not going to do a good job explaining this, so I will make this short on there, but it's all about this nerdy inventor, even at the very beginning, whenever it's showing him in his, you know, actually at the very beginning, he's a child, and, you know, his dad is trying to talk to him, and it's all about fish, and, you know, you don't, you got to pull back the tackle whenever you do this, and the little kid goes, I don't understand fishing metaphors, and throws himself into his bed in distress, and then the mother comes in and talks to him, and it's like, you know, the world needs great scientists like you. And then it jumps forward after his mother's dead, and it's just him and his father, and he, it's showing, like, this amazing, like, Dexter's laboratory size, you know, um, laboratory, fuck, Dexter's laboratory, laboratory, <laughs> fuck, words, um, and you're like, okay, Stupid this is words. fucking amazing, and then it actually shows what it really is, and it's like a bunch of cardboard where he's drawn lines everywhere, and he's making all the beeps and boops, and he pulls aside a curtain and walks through and uses a, um, a, uh, Simon's, whatever Simon says yeah the Simon says thing as his door password to go down (laughs) and his father's just like uh when are you gonna give this thing up look dad I this isn't something I'm just gonna give up okay I need you to work at the tackle shop with me but dad and the entire idea Bruce Campbell plays the mayor in it and the entire idea is that they're in Swallow Falls which became big based off sardines and then right about the time that everybody realized that sardines are super gross. <laughs> and so their entire industry is based off sardines, so they've made sardine lollipops. And, you know, they all everything is based off sardines, and then he creates a machine that turns water into food. And then it launches into the stratosphere. So he becomes the big guy. At, one of my favorite moments is... Um, he has a monkey called Steve um, who has a thought translator. So all he ever says is Steve. And he's like, I, you know, he's asking people what they want. And Steve goes, gummy bears. He goes, Steve, you can't have gummy bears. You know what happens when you have gummy bears. And then later on in the movie, when everything's gone insane and the, the food has become sentient, they're in a 
car turned into a plane, and gummy bears land on the plane and start attacking the um or start attacking them trying to rip it out and Steve just goes fucking crazy. He starts screaming with delight as he's ripping it, ripping the heads off of um, all these gummy bears <laughs> and just tearing them asunder. Like if this was a horror movie, there'd be blood and guts everywhere and he is just cackling with glee, screaming, <laughs> Steve! It is amazing. That was not short at all. Fuck off. So uh, I'm glad that we're, you know, that I'm being nice and civil during this, yeah. you know. My uh, my number two uh, is actually a Pixar movie, and it's The Incredibles. Which, for those of you that don't know, is basically a parody of early uh, superhero stuff with a lot of, like, spy thriller and a lot of, like, cliches of superhero tropes from comic books and early, you know, superhero movies and stuff. But, uh, it's, uh, one of those things where it also subverts every one of your expectations and there's a lot of really, uh, incredible voice acting and just like, there's so many details in that movie that every time I watch it, I was like, wait a second, I don't remember that. I don't remember that being there. And there's, just there's just all these layers and I just I really like uh I really like Brad Bird and it was really tough to I didn't see the Iron Giant for a really long time. Right. And when I finally watched it, it's like this. It's like I kinda just want to put Brad Bird as my number two <laughs> as far as like Brad Bird's children's movies. Uh just because like both of those movies are... I'm pretty sure just Brad Bird's movies and all because Mission Impossible was... Ghost Protocol, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. But I'm just specifically for a children's list. But uh, The Iron Giant has the kind of... It has the same pathos and the same like gravitas to it that The Incredibles has with, while still maintaining that really... You know, you can be a little kid and you can just enjoy the whole ride and you can be an adult and you can see all the layers yep. you know and that's why I, that's why i think it's so much fun and syndrome is just amazing as a as a parody of villains you caught me monologuing again <laughs> i mean that chain that movie changed comic books about that that changed movies about that i mean well, every, and, and, everybody makes jokes about people monologuing now and well now. i was going to say um did you see the how I, it should have ended with iron man 3 uh, yeah. <laughs> this is basically the plot to Incredibles. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, you've got me tied up. Your syndrome. I've even got a black guy in a suit. <laughs> this is the plot to Incredibles. <laughs> okay. Uh, my second pick is Adam's Family. Oh. Yes. That's a good one. Not, not the values? Uh, no, I like values also. Uh, it's... A little stupid, but yeah, I like Adam's Family values. Now, Ad- Adam's Family, I, I haven't seen it in a, quite a while, surprisingly enough. Um, I think I watched it last year. Hmm? That's nice. You it should holds have invited up pretty me. Well. It really does. Yeah, it, it's well made. The, the movies, just as movies go, is beautiful. I mean, cinematography in it is amazing. The costumes are glorious. Uh, but no, just 
all of the strange messages that movie can send. I mean, it's like, okay, you've all messages. Oh, very much. (laughs) I mean, you've got all of these very strange, odd people, especially to a child who's never seen anything like that. It's very noticeably weird people, but they're the straight ones in the movie. I mean, the mother and dad, they love each other literally to death. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the kids are good for the most part. Yes, they get into shenanigans, which are, in terms of normal people, very uh, psychotic and messed up. They but, kill each other, like, repeatedly. Yeah, and it's fine, but, it, but it's the whole brother-sister <laughs> thing. I mean, we fight all the time. Oh, yeah, they just kill each other. It's fun. It's, it's yeah. playful. And the bad people in the movies are the normal people. I mean, a, a, like, you've got the guy down the road that hates them because... Every morning, uh, Gomez hits his golf ball right into his window. I mean, it's a game to him, and it's, I don't know, it, it's it got a lot of fun stuff in it. And, you know, and it also, I mean, as a child, it's like, okay, people die. Okay, that's cool. It's not like a huge deal, and everything's really happy about being kind of morbid with it. And I, I don't know, it's like an easy transition into that, I suppose. So, But that's just a great... I mean, I, I remember actually going and seeing that in the theater as a little kid. Yeah. Like I was, like I was probably six or seven years old when that movie came. Because I mean, it's MC Hammer. Yeah. Too, you know, too legit to quit. Yay! You know all that. They shit's do what in they want to do, say what they yeah. want to say, live how they want to live, play how they want to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 One all of those things. That, you know. Yeah. Well, both of those things are in there, but I was just yeah. thinking about. Cousin It. It's like driving up, listening to MC Hammer because like that was the big thing. Yeah. You know, it was probably like. You know, six or seven years old. It's amazingly funny no matter how old you are. And I remember laughing so hard. There's more blood in that than Taken 3, too. Yes, yeah, there is (laughs) way more blood in that than Taken 3. that's a PG movie. (laughs) So my number one is Muppets Take Manhattan. I I actually got a bunch of Muppet movies a couple years ago from my mom when I... Just she, I told her that I really, you know, like I the Muppet movie had come out, and I think she had bought a bunch of. Uh, te- I haven't watched that, it's that Muppets. yet. Yeah, I know. But. I just want to get this out in the open. I have never seen a Muppets movie. Okay, um, so Wednesday <laughs> we're going to watch Muppets Take Manhattan. So uh, that's that's the new Hudson Hawk. <laughs> um, okay, so. Muppets Take Manhattan. To give you a little bit of backstory on the, or to let you give you a glimpse inside of my madness, when I was driving to get married on top of a mountain, I was in the car by myself. And I pulled up YouTube as I was driving down the highway, you know, as you do, and pulled up the song. All sounds legal. Somebody's getting married, which is the closing song of, or you know, pretty much the closing song of. Muppets take Manhattan, and just belted that out as I drove for two and a half, or you know, hour and a half to Lawton to get married on top of a mountain. So, this movie has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. I think it even came out the year I was born. So, um, the basic idea of this is the Muppets have graduated college. They've made their own kind of small musical, and that's uh, Manhattan Melodies. And the entire idea is that they are going to New York to sell their musical and get on Broadway. And they go and 
get turned away at every every stop. They actually find somebody who's going to, and then turns out that he is a huge fraud who was just going to steal, you know, wanted $5,000 from them, was just going to steal the money and run. And Come on, take the money and run. Sorry. <laughs> and as a result of this, they're all broke and kind of realize that they're putting a huge strain on Kermit, so the entire group breaks apart and goes to live in all these different areas, trying to make it on their own while Kermit still tries to put together Manhattan Melodies. And he becomes a waiter, and that's where you get introduced to Rizzo and the entire rat family. Um, (laughs) You know, there's some really great songs in the movie. Um, One of my favorite moments in the movie is... uh, Piggy has stayed in New York despite saying that she's going to leave and is basically stalking Kermit. (laughs) Like you do. And at one point, Kermit is jogging in the park with his attractive human female cast member who is a waitress at the same place, same diner. And they're running and Piggy is following. And then this guy runs up and steals Piggy's purse. Dandy's New York. Fair enough. Yeah. And Piggy starts chasing after him and runs up to Gregory Hines, who is in short shorts and rollerblade or roller skates. And she takes the roller skates from him and proceeds to chase down the um, purse snatcher. <laughs> now, the purse snatcher is booking it from her and manages to escape. And, you know, at one point looks back and you just see Piggy super pissed off. Coming after him, and you just see the uh, purse thief run for like three minutes, just straight without seeing anything. He ends up at the bottom of this kind of rock, and he starts pulling stuff out of the purse. And there's you know brazier, there's some lingerie. He then pulls out a hacksaw from there, looks at it, throws it down, some rope, some other stuff, and then all of a sudden, piggy comes flying off the top of this rock. And tackles him. And the police come up and grab him and go. And he says, she stole my purse. (laughs) And then Kermit comes up and starts talking to Piggy. And they're going and Gregory Hines comes up and goes, hey, you know, can I get my skates back? And they're continuing fighting. He's like, you know what? Fine, you can keep them. I just kind of like running around in shorts. And then runs off screen. (laughs) And it's, it's a great movie, especially because... You know, it it does it doesn't. The thing I like it is it's another movie where it treats the Muppets as if they're real. Mm-hmm. It's not where you're watching the Great Muppet Caper, and in the middle of it, they start talking about the fact that Piggy is overselling her lines. There's no wink and a nod to the audience. They are, you know, the only part that's kind of other than the. You Isn't know, that kind of like the Muppets thing though? Is like breaking the fourth wall a, a bit I mean, yeah having not really seen it i know about it right so. um joan rivers is even in the movie yeah um but that that's one of the things i like and that's probably why i like it more is that they aren't breaking the fourth wall they yeah. are characters in this rather than being kermit playing a character doing something else um i would say the one bad thing about muppets most wanted is that they fuck up the song together again from there where they go together again, again. And that's their new song, which is a takeoff of the previous one, kind of like they did Rainbow Connection in the Muppets. So, um, 
But yeah, that is totally my number one. So is that a prequel or sequel to Jason Takes Manhattan? <laughs> I would say that's a pre... Well, I don't know. I don't know the time frame. When did... Mid-80s. I was going to say, wasn't it 88? Yeah. So it would be... A it sounds prequel. right. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, America. Glad we cleared so, that up. Uh, the, my number one... Uh, is uh, a stop-motion animation movie. It is not... A Christmas movie. So, yay. Oh, thank you. It is a Henry Selleck movie, so it is okay. Coraline. So, uh, I just... Oh, so, so it is Coraline, so, you know... <laughs> no, it... Well, I, I know, well, yeah, I yeah, know, but... Yeah. The movie is Coraline, okay. and I just, I, uh... I didn't see it in the theater, but it was one of those movies that when I finally watched it, I was like, this is the perfect kids movie. It has all of the imagination you need in a kid's movie the lead protagonist doesn't want to be with her family or whatever and she gets the redemptive kind of storyline through you know her her journey but it's also just clever as hell you know there's just a lot of clever elements they don't treat the audience like they don't talk down to the audience when you're watching it they don't over explain things they don't uh they don't treat the story like it's less serious than it than it is, you know. Right. So it's like everything serious has consequences, and everything uh, has a payoff. Well, you know? it's, a, it's another one of those that you watch it and you don't realize how fucked that movie is. Well, it's nice and twisted, you know, and I like that. I I really liked that movie, but I had a problem with it, and it. It's really vague. It's just it seems like it was trying to be way more interesting than it really was. And, that, and, and to be fair, that's you know um, actually Clive Barker has a book called The Thief of Always, which is the same concept. Yeah. And then Neil Gaiman came out with his later, so it's almost like yeah. So I I, re- I still need to read The Thief of Always just to see how that one does in comparison. But I just I mean I have not read the book. Coraline, right. but I just I love the movie. I thought it yeah. was really fascinating. I just love the look of it too. It just it plays so differently than a lot of than a lot of kids' movies do. And it's not where the Corpse Bride is definitely like here. I'm Tim Burton. I'm making another Tim Burton musical yeah. for kids. You know, right? Like the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I mean is a is a fun movie, and that's a Henry Selleck movie. But it is. you know, yeah. no, it's Tim Burton. No, yeah, I know. I remember I was well, in that, line buying Coraline, and this guy's, this lady's like, "I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. I love his movies." I was just like, I looked at my wife like, "Oh God." Well, um, let, you think everything Henry Selleck has done in his career is also a Tim Burton movie? Well, um, oh God. it's like last podcast, um, Dave mentioned um, V for Vendetta as a Wachowski, Wachowski, yeah, yeah. brothers movie, yeah. and it was just like, no, no, that's. No, sorry. <laughs> Good job, but they wrote it, but or they wrote the adaptation, but they right they didn't direct it, you know. But it's just it's just, and and I do prefer children's movies with a little bit of a twistedness to it, yeah. you know, that little bit of strange weird and, edge. Yeah, it makes for a lot more fun, and for me, it's just like. I feel like it's one of those kids' films I can watch over and over again. Right. And I don't feel like... Even a lot of animated movies... Like, I saw How How to Train Your Dragon 2. Yeah. And I was like, there's really... You know, you get everything the first watch. 
Yeah. Well, you then, know? Yeah. well and, and I, I still love how to train, train your dragon. The first one's a lot of fun. The second one's just like there's some unnecessary elements to it. You yeah. know, well, like you were saying, it's got a little bit of the strange to it. I I really am curious to know what my reaction to that move to Coraline, what it would have been having not seen it as a child. I wonder what it would be like to be like seven and see that. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Well, I mean the the whole the like the big thing with the whole how fucked it is is the whole buttons for eyes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like what has to go into that? Just kind of go. Wow, that's <laughs> well. Just the first time she goes and like everything's perfect, and then and... it just gets more and more fucked. As yeah, time goes just on. like yeah. And like it deteriorates. Her fantasy world deteriorates as she learns yeah. to not believe in it, and it's it's just a fine story, you know. Whether or not Neil Gaiman borrowed lots of elements from everybody else, like everybody else does, yep. <laughs> you know, whether whether he whether or not he did that, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter to me, and it doesn't. I've seen like a lot of the Dave McKean illustrations for the book, right, and it pays homage to that while it's still very obviously Henry Selick, you know, and his designs, and. Dave McKean's drawings are pretty fucked for little kids, you know? It's kind of a... I imagine it would be a hard thing to to take his drawings and make them a little bit more kid-friendly, you know? It's just... My turn. Okay, my number one pick for kids' movies would be Clifford. Martin Short. Oh... I have not seen this. I have oh. not seen that movie since I was a little kid. I know, it's amazing. Uh, uh, Martin Short plays a little kid as a 40-year-old. Uh, as you do. And, uh... Isn't that Charles Grodin? Edward Nigma? Is that his name? What? Charles Grodin? I can't remember. I, I, that, yeah. That's the actor. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. He plays his uncle, I believe. Uh, anyways, the kid is a complete shit-ass terror kid, and his parents are going on vacation, and they more or less pawn him off on his uncle and his dream is to go to dinosaur world it's the only thing in his life he wants to do is go to dinosaur world it's disneyland for him and his uncle actually designed like the roller coaster on dinosaur world and so of course he's definitely going to get to go there oh yeah but he has a problem of being a psychotic little bastard. And, as, as Martin Short is. <laughs> yes. And things get delayed, and so he takes revenge on his uncle for not getting to go right this minute. We're going to go tomorrow. He doesn't get to go tomorrow. So I'm going to call in a bomb threat as you, and you're going to get arrested. Oh, good. <laughs> so he spends his night in jail. Like, it, it, it's... There's not a whole lot of great messages in it other than you... <laughs> I was going to say, you really don't need great messages whenever it comes to a... Uh... No, it, it's just purely just a kid's crazy idea of how to accomplish a goal. It's like, okay, if I try hard enough, I will achieve my goals. And, oh, wait, I still don't get to go there. Okay, I'm going to punish everyone until I get my goal. And, damn it, he gets to go to Dinosaur World. Not... In the best way, he is kidnapped and taken to Dinosaur World <laughs> and more or less tortured there right. uh, by having to ride a roller coaster repeatedly over and over again, making it faster and faster, having to meet Larry the Scary Rex, and all of the nastiness that ensues from that. And it, it's fun, and he learns to grow up, 
and be the forty-year-old man that Martin Short really is. Because <laughs> and, well, and it's, I, mean, it's, I don't know how good of a it's message interesting. That is. They they play him off as being a lot shorter than he is, and he does it really well. And you will believe that Martin Short is a ten-year-old. It, I mean, you look at him, you go, "Yes, okay, obviously he's not ten, but he sure as shit acts like it." It's wonderful. <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Okay. Um, so since Dave wasn't here, we'll go real quick through his, and then we'll do uh, reader submissions. Uh, Dave's number three was Toy Story. Yep. Number two was The Lion King. And number one, which is actually a pretty close one for me, I you know, if it wasn't for all that other stuff, you know, hey, whatever, was Aladdin. Yeah, I, I, I put that on in my runners up. Which definitely, you know, for me, you know, I kind of, I talked to Daryl about this whenever it happened, but whenever the whole Robin Williams thing happened this past year, like, I took it super hard. Because yeah. he was one of my favorite actors. I, I actually managed to see him um, right, um, I think it was right before the heart attack. You know, went to Tulsa to see him live, and yeah. my mother was just like, you know, how are you know why are you driving to Tulsa to go see him? Look, he's fifty something years old. He's not going to be around for that much longer. And then afterwards, he had a heart attack and had to cancel a show for a while and all this stuff. And it was like, okay, see, made the right decision at that point. Yeah, but I only got to see him once, but grew up with him. And then you know, having Aladdin, you know, and then there's that that image that they put out, which is a great image. But at the same time, definitely gives some very fucked up messages to some people, which was, you know, Aladdin hugging the genie and it said, you know, you're now you're free. It's like you don't want to put a positive spin on suicide. Yeah. So um, those are three very stereotypical responses, though. They are like. Those are the three most common things I've heard. Having asked other people what their three favorite kids' movies, yeah. sure enough, one of those three is definitely in there, if not two. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so reader submissions. Uh, my wife Katie's were Labyrinth and Tangled. Now, have you guys seen Tangled? I have not I've seen, not seen Tangled. Tangled. Tangled is so fucking good. It's another one of those really weird as shit movies. Mm-hmm. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is one of those. As I said, Kung Fu Panda is another one of those. Tangled, a DreamWorks? No, Disney. It's, Disney. it's Rapunzel. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's got... Uh, one of my favorite moments of this is um, they're standing on a cliff. or they're, they're running through like these mines and they're in this cliff. And um, it's Rapunzel and this thief, Flynn Rider. And they're surrounded on all sides. People are rushing, and she goes, who are those people? They don't like me. Who are those people? They don't like me. A horse runs in. He goes, And she goes, who's that? Just assume that everyone here doesn't like me. And she flies away. He has a frying pan with him, and these guys approach him with swords. And he gets into a fight, and he slams each one and knocks everybody out with one blow, knocking them out. He's like, oh, man, I've got to get me one of these. And then, as he's holding it up, a sword hits his frying pan, and it's the horse wielding a sword with his mouth. And they engage in a sword battle on the top of this cliff. And Flynn just goes, this is, just so you know, this is the strangest thing I have ever done. And then, you know, 
gets the sword knocked out of, or the, gets the frying pan knocked out of his hand as it flies off the cliff, and the horse has the sword up to his throat, and then is saved by Rapunzel. So it is really, really weird. There, at one point, there's a, um, they're in a um, bar with a bunch of cutthroat people that sing a song about how they have a dream, and one of them is to be a concert pianist, even though he has a hook for a hand. Unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's definitely an awesome movie. It's one of those that um, my kids definitely enjoy. Um, Olin Cox, who's been on this before, his are Aladdin, My Neighbor Totoro, and The Incredibles. I I I feel terrible because I've been meaning to watch all of the Miyazaki movies for years. Have you not watched them? I just haven't. I don't. It's like every time I rent one or something happens. That well, week, to, I just like um, I never end up watching it. My <laughs> neighbor Totoro's okay. Yeah. Like it, it's one of those that is definitely about children become and the whimsy that comes with that. Um, for me, my favorite of those is Spirited Away. And that that's definitely an interesting one. Um, Mason McCormick has Muppet Treasure Island, which I will be coming back to in my runners-up. Um, An American Tale, Five Will Goes West, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Five Will Goes West is awesome. Yes, Five Will Goes West. I have amazing. never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. I have I, not either. Compare, we have failed you, Mason. Yeah, we're bad. Um, well, I know it's a Wes Anderson movie, and it's after he worked with Henry Selleck that he yeah. wanted to make well, a stop um, motion. Well, movie. Henry Selleck did I the think, animation for well, Life Aquatic. Yeah, I, well, I think Henry Selleck had started working on um, it and then had left to go do Coraline, I think, or whatever it was. Yeah, he, that would be about the time. Yeah, and the guy who took over um, was the guy who did. He worked on a bunch of the um, Wallace and Gromit. So that's more of the type of style it is. Yeah. So dead eyes, basically. Um, Joshua Paul McNear. Um, the Sirloin Prince. <laughs> um, he submitted Brave Little Toaster. Yes. Wow. The it's an Iron, amazing movie. The Iron Giant. And Fievel Goes West. I really need to watch Brave Little Toaster again just so I can have my soul crushed. Yes. That movie, I I, it, I haven't seen that movie in probably like eighteen years. Yeah, it's been. I just know there's longer. one frightening part of that movie, and I kind of block most of it out. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, Something to do with a heater. I don't, I don't remember. Angela Ferguson, Dave's wife, um, submitted Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and Tangled. Beauty and the Beast is such a fucked up movie when you really think about it. Like, the more you think about it, like, as an adult, the more fucked up it becomes. I've read, I've even read people, like, talking about how, like, the articles, people writing articles being just like, think of how fucked up this is. It's just like, there's a guy who has to fall in love, or he's going to be this beast for his whole life. So he basically kidnaps a girl and Stockholm syndrome her until she's in love with him. Uh-huh. But the bad guy is actually so bad and such a dumbass and such a douchebag to everybody that you root for the beast even though he's an asshole for literally the entire movie. <laughs> he is never nice to her. <laughs> You're just like, wow, abusive relationship much? <laughs> um, Constance Burris... Constance Burris 
went kind of crazy on hers. So she first said, The Last Unicorn. Never seen that. Then she said, The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. The Wiz as well. (laughs) Well, if you like The Wizard of Oz and you've actually seen The Wiz, you probably like both of them. Yeah. Then she said Fantasia. Okay. Okay. Labyrinth. Okay. And the cartoon version of The Hobbit. Yes. I, I I love the cartoon version of The Hobbit. Actually, that's part of the reason why I cannot make myself even sit through. Don't. Yeah. I've So so what I'm waiting for, hey, take a drink, is for the fan edit of the last for, so that when somebody goes and cuts all recuts of, it back to the size like a two, of like a of two the, hour movie. Like that No, they should just recut it. Into the animated, <laughs> recut it to the same movie as the animated, so it's seventy minutes long. Um, Matthew Pearson said Matilda, and yeah, which is nice really good with Trunchbull. Yes, and um, the Neverending Story, which will destroy everybody's childhood. Everybody's soul yeah. is dark. I, I, I honestly, um, I actually tried watching that with Graham. And we got to the Swamp of Despair, which I don't remember. I don't remember much about that fucking movie. Um, all I remember are those giant fucking statues with laser eyes. <laughs> and um, I, remember, I remember Falcor and the and the. Oh yeah, well in the, the in the alley. Yeah. Um, but what um, what happens at that point is that apparently the horse it's gets yeah yeah eaten or yeah. whatever yeah. drowns or whatever, and then. Um, Swamp of Sadness. Yeah, and then the giant turtle <laughs> the thing. And, and as soon as the horse disappeared, Graham just turned to Katie and went, Why? <laughs> and that's life, that's son. Life. That's life. So he got yeah. too, way too upset while watching it that we yes, had to he turn should it off. have been. Yeah. yeah. Well, he wasn't even, he was like a year and six months old, and he still was able to turn around and go, Why? What the fuck? <laughs> um,. Specifically, the what the fuck. Yeah. yeah. Reese um, Woolbright said Sandlot, Lion King, and An American Tale. Yes. I saw... I mean, I, that was the first movie I ever saw in theater was American Tale. I have distinct memory of being like two years old and being in the theater. Like, yeah. that's the, uh, that is probably the other earliest memory I have other than like living in, a, in the trailer... And like walking out because we were like moving, so we were in a trailer, different trailer park, and we walk out, and you could see this kind of, you could see this bridge that a train, but like would drive over. But I remember this. Uh, that's one of like the earliest memories I have is of an American tale. I just remember when I initially saw that movie that I remember was it being extremely depressing, and at the end I was absolutely terrified of the. Uh, giant mouse rat thing that they create to get rid of all the cats. Something about that thing was just nasty. Um, and our final submission is from M. Weisberg and hers was Babe. Babe. <laughs> Who was yeah. the director of Babe Pig in the City? Because he's like a horror movie director or something now. No clue. Not going to look it up? Oh, yeah. I'll look it up. <laughs> I mean. So I guess runners up yeah, so um, I guess my runners up just real quick: uh, Spirited Away, How to Train Your Dragon, um, especially since it's from the same director who did uh, or 
um, who did Lilo and Stitch, and Toothless is basically Stitch. And uh, the guys who did, yeah, How to Train Your Dragon, yeah. Yeah, um, Little Monsters. Oh, I, I know why Babe Pig in the Oh, city. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Mad, it's Mad Max, Max Director. Director. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it's the Mad Max director. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Little Monsters. Do you guys remember that movie at all? Yes. Uh, we bit. talked about this in the last podcast. I do not, re- I don't remember element i just remember it being a Callie mandel and you know yeah the, the well i the only the i as i said i went last i guess i went back and watched it and fucked movie like the last guy is like i'm not i can't even remember if it's a kid or if it's an adult but in a suit and then the entire back half of their body is just like raw meat and then um i just remember getting super upset at the part where Howie Mandel's hand turns into the dog and eats the heart. Yeah. Like, there's just something about that that just traumatized me. I don't know what it was. Um, and then, I, I, I do have to mention this because it has consumed my life so much, is Muppet Treasure Island. What is so, with you and the Muppets, man? Oh, I love the Muppets. I love the Muppets, um, too. Katie and I, you like, um, right before Graham, <laughs> before Graham was born, Katie and I actually wa- went through and watched, like, four seasons of the Muppet Show. I need it. From oh, no. the, yeah. The first, the first one's incredible. It's amazing the number of weird art, performance oh, art people yeah, like, that yeah. are, like, special guests. There's and, the one where they, I can't remember what they're called, but they... It's literally like the st- they're they're in black mm-hmm. and their faces are are have pieces mm-hmm. of paper on them and they peel all the emotion like they tell the whole story just by their movements and peeling these pieces of paper. Yeah, it, it, it's it, fucking need, incredible. You need to watch it fucking stoned. It, it'll change your life. <laughs> you just need to watch it. I yeah. mean, it'll it's and just even the the songs are so good because I mean um, it's actually Jim Henson. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Muppet Treasure Island is another one where. They play it as if they're in the story. Um, this did come after Muppet Christmas Carol. Now, for me, I'm you know I might be wrong here, but for me, Muppet Christmas Carol felt like it was too slavish. It, I, I feel the uh, I don't know. I, I love Muppet Christmas. Carol. It it, ju- it just doesn't feel like they had. It's my favorite much, adaptation of a Christmas Carol. So, but it just didn't feel like they had a lot of fun with it. Like they they had they did a decent retelling on it, but it was not. Muppet Flare for me. Um, whereas you get into Muppet Treasure Island and like they muppet it up. They they muppet it up <laughs> like crazy. Um, they move. They make. They have Rizzo and Gonzo play the same kind of roles as Muppet Treasure Island, but put themselves into the story where they're um, whatever um, Jimmy Jimmy Jim Jim. Oh yeah. Um, his um, his friends. So they make them a part of the story. Um, oh, what the fuck is his name? I'm trying to think of the actor. He plays Billy or he Billy Bones. Um, he was in um, Boondock Saints. He was their father. Yeah, I don't know his name. Oh, uh, uh, Billy, Billy Connolly. Connolly. Yeah. Bill, yeah, yeah. Billy Connolly plays. You ever heard his stand up? Uh, no, I haven't. His stand up is great. Now. You're going to feel like when you start listening to it that you're going to need subtitles, but you actually really get used to his accent after oh, yeah. yeah. But Billy Connolly plays Billy Bones in there. Tim Curry plays Long John Silver, which is another one of my favorite Tim Curry uh, performances in there. Almost everybody else, with the exception of like three humans, mm-hmm. are puppets on the ship. Um, which brings me to my favorite character in Muppet Treasure Island. His name is Calico Jerry. 
Um, he is not ever, the only time he's ever identified in the movie is at the very end whenever he's fighting Jim Hawkins. And Tim Curry goes, come on, Jerry, he's just a kid. Only time he's ever identified. But if you watch this man while watching Muppet Treasure Island, he has fully committed to the to the movie. He has forgotten that the Muppets don't exist. <laughs> it is amazing watching him because he like there's a part where Gonzo is tortured um, and it is stretched out so he has super long legs and he's like, "Oh, I can play basketball. This is amazing." And you just see Jerry in the background just going. Like, motherfucker. Like, this guy's a fucking idiot. And then they do a lampshade treatment to get him to have short legs. And he just kind of looks up at him like, what the fuck? And then, um, not Beaker, or yeah, uh, Beaker is, has his head, like, in there. So Gonzo has to hit him to get it out. And then you just see um, Calico Jerry in the back just kind of laughing and shaking his head as he's <laughs> whittling something. And during one of the songs, like... You watch the other human actors, and they're literally just looking from one puppet to the next as they talk. Yeah. Whereas Calico Jerry, he just screws up his face into a big smile, and he's, hmm, 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 and he's humming along with it. Whenever he's supposed to be sad, his face completely falls. He is completely emoting. And it is amazing to watch him, and he barely gets any lines in the fucking movie. I want to make a supercut of just Calico Jerry scenes and start a f- meme about Calico Jerry completely forgetting that the Muppets aren't real. This is how much I love Calico Jerry and Muppet Treasure Island. It's a lot. That's a little weird, man. <laughs> so, what are your runners up? <laughs> uh, my my first one. It was it was a str- I uh, because I stuck to Dave's original idea uh, because I thought that was the actual idea. Uh, <laughs> I did not put this in, or this probably would have been number one, but The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal is one of my just all-time favorite kids' movies. It's so fucked up. It's so brilliant. <laughs> it's so twisted. It's so bent. It so uses like all these conceptual ideas that it's just like, you know, shouldn't be in a kids' movie probably. And Brian Frude's designs are just twisted enough that... And just the Skeksis are so fucking amazing yeah you know, I, was, just, I was trying to find something for the kids to watch the other day and i was like hey katie should i put on dark crystal no <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's a little bit more like probably when you're you know six you know five or six you can think well i i was planning on showing hellraiser to graham at seven so <laughs> it'd be a nice transition but i guess you start. start at three with uh with, <laughs> with uh that uh, then I would say um, Muppet Christmas Carol, just because I love I love Muppet Christmas Carol. It's fucking evil. I know. <laughs> well, but also Michael Caine is such a great Scrooge, except for that last song. I don't care. I love the last song too. I just I just love that movie. And this is gonna you know be this is a runner up for the same reason why you know I don't. I didn't put Toy Story on my list or anything, uh, but I uh, I thought Frozen was an incredible uh, actual, especially as like a Disney film. It was such a big change of like the princess magical princess arc was actually reversed, <laughs> and I was like, man. And actually, I even though everyone's so tired of Let It Go, and I understand why, but like 
a lot of the songs on there are really good. A lot of the humor works. Um, uh, just even... just so you know, um, before or Tangled is done by the same people who did Frozen. Okay. So if you like that, you'll okay. you'll love that. And there's also not a big lipped alligator moment. Well, that's good. Yeah. Which refers to all dogs go to heaven when all of a sudden yeah. there's a big lipped alligator and no one has any idea why because it has nothing to do with the plot. Okay. <laughs> Daryl, do you have any runner ups? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, first runner-up would be Beetlejuice. I know that's not entirely a kid's movie, but it did have a kid's show spinoff, so fuck it, it's a kid's movie. <laughs> that's true. I, I endorse that. It's like Men in Black. <laughs> Men in Black is technically a kid's movie because it had a Men in Black. Exactly. But yeah, Beetlejuice, I I, I love that movie as a kid. It, it, it's, it's weird as shit. Yeah. It, it, I should have put Ghostbusters on mine. Then. Yeah. Why did I do that? I, I don't know. It's you, you completely failed. I did fail. There's actually another thing that we completely failed on, but I'll let yeah. okay. Daryl finish his. Uh, second runner-up would be Ernest Goes to Jail. Oh. See, mine would have been Ernest is Scared Stupid. You see, it's kind of a toss-up. I kind of put all of the Ernest movies into that category, not counting uh, any of them made past Scared Stupid. But... I, I, I love their Ernest, Ernest movies. Ernest is yeah. my hero. I had to show, I showed Katie the uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Yeah. And she just, I think she just kind of stared like, what the fuck is this? It's <laughs> like, it's fucking Ernest. That's what this is. It's Ernest. amazing. Yeah. No, I, I, I just, I love Scared Stupid. It's a toss up between that one and uh, Goes to Jail, but in Goes to Jail, he, he fucking flies. <laughs> it, it's amazing. He get yeah. The electric powers. It's wonderful. Yeah. And then there's the evil Ernest, and it's it's too much fun. Yeah, the evil Ernest. It's the greasy, carny version of the weird redneck. I, re- I really it's, do it's need wonderful. to just buy the Ernest movies. Yeah. Um, we actually got in the television show. Yeah, you will, yeah, he started off as like com- doing commercials. Like he did bombs yeah. commercials, I think, yeah, at one point. That was it? Yeah, it's the. But, hey but they, they made a the Hayburn yeah. show. Or whatever, yeah, and it was the complete series. And then one of the people came in during Christmas and bought. It. I was like, fuck. Yeah, like I missed my chance. Yeah, because the person to... didn't even know that he had the show. And I was like, oh, you're looking for Ernest stuff? We have Hey Vern. And she, what? <laughs> I remember watching Hey Vern. Uh, on TV in yeah. Oklahoma. No, no, it would have been in Colorado. But I remember like watching it on TV. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, the number one run runner-up for me is Gremlins 2. I, all, all I remember, and it's all I caught whenever I was cooking <laughs> cookies, because they yeah. were showing that, was the... Um, the female gremlin coming out of... Like, oh, yeah, they do the whole musical number the there. Musical at the musical number, yeah. yeah. It, it's wonderful. That movie's silly. It's got Christopher Lee, and they've got the Dracula, like, or the bat gremlin and all that stuff. They've right. got the gremlin that talks, and he's just the funniest thing ever. And then, Doesn't he have, like, a real those, smooth voice or something? Oh, yeah, he's, like, the most charismatic person you have ever seen. It, it's <laughs> freaking amazing. Have you heard his death metal Christmas album? Oh, yeah. Or black metal Christmas yeah. album, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me get my genre. It, 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 it's amazing. And I, yeah, Gremlins 2 is awesome. But I will. Ha- I do have to add to this. My favorite movie as a kid, which is the first movie I remember seeing, is RoboCop. Okay, I endorse this. <laughs> hey, dude, it, it's a cop. He's a robot. I know. What I, is not kids' movie about that? 
I, I remember I remember seeing <laughs> everything that, movie, like, that Paul Verhoeven did. <laughs> I remember like I think my dad took me to that movie or something. I was like, because I, I think I, that was what nineteen ninety. That was like late eighties. Late eighties. Yeah. Uh, then maybe it was my dad rented it or something. Yeah, it, it's me, the first one he I made me watch seeing. it. You yeah, know, he made me watch it. Well, and then later I'm like an adult and I watch it. It's like okay, they just said he, they just brutally murdered him. They've just said fuck. A billion times, well, that, that's, and you just saw the in the uh, co-ed naked people changing in the police department. Yeah. You're like, why did my dad? Watch well, this movie? Um, to be to be honest, for me, anytime I, I own RoboCop one now, and so I've watched it multiple times, so I've fixed myself of this. But for the longest time, anytime I thought RoboCop, I thought RoboCop two. Oh. Yeah. And then I also have the problem of mixing up Mad Max and RoboCop and That's weird. No, it's the it's the time when stuff happened, like the big change happens cuz in Mad Max the him taking revenge is like the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Whereas RoboCop in the first 20 minutes of the movie is whenever he gets completely slaughtered and then reprogrammed and everything. And I remember like watching RoboCop two and not being able to watch it. Like, I it was I, so fuck. It, like I, as, a as a kid, kid RoboCop two was kind of weird, but I liked it. I just didn't get it. it. It there was too much of the drug nonsense, and it was just as as a child, I didn't quite grasp any well, of that. And, and it's that, still not great. I love that commercial but, at the beginning of it with the zapper thing, yeah. car alarm thing. Yeah, but yeah, the first movie, I mean, all the violence, all the nonsense in that. As a child, I just glossed over that. Yeah, it was badass fucking robot cop. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. He gets his revenge. It's the hokiest thing ever. If you look at it, it's like, oh, he can walk like two miles an hour. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's going to fight. You hear him fucking coming a block have you, away. Have you guys seen... Um, are you oh, guys, also, he gets um, a jetpack. Familiar with Screw Attack? No. It's a website that does death battles, yeah. and they did a death battle between RoboCop and the Terminator. Mm. And what's interesting about them is that they actually go in and analyze all the all the movies, the cartoons, yeah, all that stuff. Like at one point, um, RoboCop got sick, so he was sneezing lightning. <laughs> I, I I used to have a videotape of uh, of it was one episode. Of RoboCop, of the TV show, yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 cartoon, and I just oh the cartoon, yeah, oh. they made a cartoon of it. Yeah, that's where he I, sneezes like yeah. you know that stuff. It's it's, it's, it's uh, not. I don't. Have, I didn't have that episode, but I had like one episode, and I I don't know how many times I watched that episode <laughs> and that terrible TV show too. The terrible yeah. TV show from the late nineties uh, or mid nineties. That was mid nineties. Yeah. So the one that we totally fucked up on and missed was Space Jam. I don't think we missed that. Yeah, I don't think we. <laughs> That's not a great kid space movie. balls. We might have missed uh, space balls. Yes, yeah. got the Schwartz. But I, I had somebody specifically say, "You guys better talk about Space Jam." I was like, eh, um, "It's not on my list." It's a pretty good Bill Murray movie. It is. I went back and watched it again recently, and I was like, "I, I, I wish this was better than it was." I, I literally don't even like. I, I don't think I saw it as a kid, and I've never really watched this. Well, adult, you're so. son of a bitch, but I know no, um, my. Um, my the only thing I really remember is the theme song, which has "Slam Bam, Thank You, Ma'am" yeah. in it, and singing that in my you know it's one of those like I get in trouble for just reversing songs around like uh, I get knocked up but I get down again yeah and my parents Chumba get really, yeah getting pissed off at me because I switched those two words <laughs> because I had no idea what they meant but they never got <laughs> trouble with "Slam Bam, Thank You, Ma'am" so yeah. well it's because they were they listened to Suffragette City enough. 
that you know it didn't bother they just thought it was a Bowie reference <laughs> <laughs> okay so um, wham bam thank you ma'am my uh, nerd for our next podcast is going to be um, three movies that surprised you so what I mean by that is going into a movie and you're thinking it's going to be one thing and then coming out on the other end completely blown away by that. So, like, you went into it thinking it was going to be really good and it turned out to be a big pile of shit? Or just... or vice versa. Okay. Something that either completely surprised you in one way or another. Or, or you, you thought it was going to be one type of movie and, and then, then you get in there and you're like... What the... F- the what? what am I watching? <laughs> okay, so our, the best example of this, and this isn't actually going to take... A, well, it's going to take... Um, Phantom Menace off of the board, but it's the God. it's that moment at the end of um, <laughs> it's the moment at the end of Fanboys. Have you guys seen Fanboys? Yeah, no, yeah. Okay the the entire premise of Fanboys is that it's um, right before fan or like six months before Phantom Menace hasn't come out yet. Yeah, oh, okay. and one of their friends has cancer. And oh wait, okay, they're I've trying heard to do, about this. Yeah, movie, they're yeah. trying to make a road trip to infiltrate the Lucas um, estate so that they can watch the movie beforehand. And so at the very end of the movie, like one of the guys has got Jar Jar Binks tattooed on his body because he's so fucking excited about this movie. And at the very end, they're sitting in the theater. The credits are about to roll. And one person turns to the other and goes, what if it sucks? Credits. And for me, that's the quintessential, you know, like you said, yeah. a movie that you're so you think it's going to be one thing and change. I can think of a bunch of other ones for yeah. me, but another it, one for like for me would be Grand Piano. Going into it, going, this is going to be bad. This is just phone booth with a piano and stuff. Ha- I know, I know, you guys fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, we just deconstructed the premise because for us, it just. It sounds awful. <laughs> like my suspension actually, of disbelief would have like it's so good kept though. me from it's watching so it. But it changed. So, um, three uh, top three movies that um, shocked you. Wait, shocked us or surprised? Surprised. surprised whatever. Okay. Whatever. Shocked is like a totally different thing. How about all the words? All the words. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So top three movies with all the words. All right. Top three movies that surprised us. Okay, that surprised us. Right. Okay, um, so plug time. Where are we plugging? You. Oh, me. The me. Oh, okay. Our and contact information. Possibly, possibly Daryl. I don't know. I don't know oh, if he's pretty man. enough. Um, so this has been the Dubious Consumers. My name is Justin Hurd. You can find me at justindherd.net, justindherd.com, facebook.com slash real justindherd, twitter.com slash Justin D. Heard. I'm also on Pinterest, Tumblr. Uh, let's see. Where the fuck else am I? I'm everywhere. I am everywhere. Just Google his name. You'll yeah, find just him. Yeah, if, type if, in if, Justin D. Heard. Yeah. You'll even hear... A, and and um, it's H-E-R-D. Yeah. Like a herd of cattle. That's my life. <laughs> Nathan? Uh, this is Nathan Simon. You can find me on Twitter and at Nate... Sorry, at Nate Wad Neutron, and you can also find me at Tumblr uh, at Nate Wad Neutron, and also Dubious Consumers. Just tag it, uh, Nathan or NJS or something, whatever. Yeah, we're at Dubious Consumer on Twitter, Daryl. 
I'm Daryl Van Ostren. You can find me on the internet. My name's pretty unique. I shouldn't be that hard to find. <laughs> Are you a part of any organization or... Secret or other? Both. <laughs> maybe. Um, a resounding maybe. Musical outlets. Yes, you can also find my band, Xenothropic. Uh, just, yeah, Xenothropic on Facebook. That's Reverb Nation. X. X-E-N-O-T-H-R-O-P-I-C. There we go. Um we are on iTunes, so like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. Review, do all those things. It makes our podcast more visible to people. Daryl's a son of a bitch for crinkling. <laughs> <laughs> He's a crinkler. Crinkling motherfucker. Okay, we will be back in two weeks with top three movies that surprised us uh, and all the words. I dropped my pride, without you I was sure to die I tried with care